Hi, my name is Details, and if you're a Star Wars fan, you may have seen me working as a creature performer on The Force Awakens, uh, Rogue One, The Last Jedi, and Solo. And I'll be chatting to my funk soul brother Ben on the Lost World of Movie Props soon. So please stay tuned. Peace. Hello, everybody. My name is Ben Robbins from the Lost World of Movie Props, and I'm here today with the one and only Details. How are you doing, D? Ah! <laughs> I'm doing very well. I'm doing very well. Finally, finally, we get to chat. We were, we were planning on meeting up and whatever, and this whole thing's a mess. But yeah, we're we're face to face here at least. Yeah, I, I tried so many venues and places, and everything was either fully booked or double the price. And I just I tried like thirty venues and just nothing. And I was just like, oh, I can't I can't pull <laughs> this out of the bag. <laughs> But we will, we will we eventually, will. and we'll, oh, yeah. we'll hook up our friend. We'll hook up a good friend, Doug, too. We'll, we'll bring him in. We'll drag <laughs> Doug up. Yeah. Then we hit the pub afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice one, but yeah. So Doug, uh, not Doug. I would call you D. I was thinking of Doug. But, uh, <laughs> we got you on stage. So we want to talk about obviously your career, the music and film industry. So I've got a, a load of questions. Are you happy just to get stuck in? Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Right, so. It's all good. So what came first in your life? Was it music or acting or when did they both come in? Um, it was the acting. It was the acting thing that, that I got sucked in on. Um, I had no idea. I mean, I was watching some movies and things like that as a kid and marveling at, at how they were making me feel. I mean, like I think the first movie that made me cry was E.T. You know, and mm. my parent, you know, my family took me to see that in cinema or whatever. And um, that was a strange thing because you don't expect to cry watching a movie. You expect to cry if you've done something wrong and you get a smack, you know what I mean? But, um, <laughs> you know, um, that, was, that was a strange, strange sensa sensation for me. Um, but, um, yeah, it was just little things that were coming along, like um, watching after watching Sesame Street in the mornings on the weekend, they would show this behind-the-scenes thing of different mm. movies and some movies I would recognize whether it was Dune or something like that and then the other and you know and then some others you're just thinking hang on what the hell is that you know Jim Henson stood stood on a, on a planet with some little green guy with big ears and there's Miss Piggy and there's Kermit what, what's going on you know um yeah. that just kind of grabs your attention um but I'm trying to think what was it, it I don't know um I did my first play at middle school. And um, I was amazed that I could actually remember dialogue. Yeah. You know, um, and not only that, that it fit into the ballpark of, of watching and loving things that were based on sci-fi and fantasy. You know, because as a kid, I'm, you know, as a kid, I'm watching, what's that? I'm watching Buck Rogers, I'm watching Battlestar Galactica, I'm watching, um, Obviously, you know, the usual Knight Rider and stuff like that, you know, in terms of real world, you know, tech and everything like that. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm watching these things, but I'm never really kind of thinking, oh, oh I'd like to be that character. No, I'm, I'm trying to think about how I would fit into a world like that, you know. Um, and if I could be friends with, um, you know, some of the characters and, and, and hang out with Twiggy from Buck Rogers or something. You, yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> Just those those kid things um and uh let me think dude um 
Yeah, it was that play. It was that play because up until then, it was something that I could just watch rather than take part in, you know, um, other than my little action figures and things like that. I'll be playing with and creating a world and, and fantasy that way. But uh, when I did that play, it was um, Aladdin. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and I remember at, at the age of 10, um, now, you remember the types of comedies that were on the show, on TV and, and things like that back then, whether it was Russ Abbott going back or Malcolm and Wise or something like yeah. that, you know? Um, but I'd seen TV like that and there was an audition and it was, I think it was for the whole year to take part rather than just one class. I think it was the whole year. And um, every dude in that year wanted to be the genie of the lamp. You know, it was like, well, the teacher was adamant that this girl was going to be playing Aladdin, <laughs> right? So you're thinking, well, what's left, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know? And um, I remember, I remember think, trying to think of, of what to do and whatever. And I remember sitting there in in the in the gymnasium yeah on the benches because we had to sit we were all sat on the, on the benches and you had to get up and do your audition in front of in front of your year right oh nice and so um all the guys were getting up and and being as being as cool as hell and, and doing this thing and um <laughs> goosebumps goosebumps i get those quite a bit <laughs> right so um uh are you being served yeah was on mm. tv um, I remember that. And, um, you know, I got up there and um, the line came at me and it was just like, well, who are you? And I came back with, I'm the genie of the lamp. <laughs> at 10 years old, the whole, the, the whole place just fell apart. And, um, and then that was, that was it. I got that part and uh, it was, it was, it was massive for me in a way because I, I didn't know that I could pretend in public. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, you pretend with your mates or whatever, but you're pretending yeah. in public and people are just watching you. Yeah. And then you've got that, you've got dialogue to say. Yeah. <laughs> and so as a kid, I remember in, remember in dialogue like this, this much at a time, um, panicking before I'm going on stage thinking, um, what if I forget? What if I forget? Uh, but the, that was, that was what, what got me back then. It was hmm. that bug of remembering dialogue and being able to get to pretend. Um, and I'm pretending around people that are also pretending and, and a set that looks like this is where it's supposed to be. And I, I fell into it that way. And, and beyond that point, it was like, I want to, I want to be an actor. I want to be famous. I want to be famous. Like, and you know, and then you come across people like Eddie Murphy. I want to be famous like Eddie Murphy, but, but, but my mom won't let me swear. So I'll be famous <laughs> like Bill Cosby, you know what I mean? Because he wasn't swearing at that time, you know? Um, and then, yeah. And then gradually it just turned into just the love of, of acting, mm. you know? Um, and that came later because took a hiatus in between all of that um, yeah. with, with music but but that didn't come out of nothing either you know it was like um to go to auditions um you needed an equity card yeah to get an equity card you needed contracts to get a contract you needed um 
an equity card. It, yeah. was, it was a vicious circle. And the only loophole I could find was um, they gave contracts. Equity would, would accept contracts if you were dancing for people. Yeah, if you were a dancer. So I kind of went that route and, you know, then met up, met the guys from the band in, and that kind of, it just kind of grew from there. And then yeah. after that, you know, got back on, got back on the, um, the, the I don't know, the, the treadmill of, of, of tracking down a, some kind of career within acting. So tell us about um, MNA obviously the, the band that you're in, where did you first meet them and how did that start? When did you first get signed? Emanate, emanate to the next level. What you say? Um, I don't know, man. It's, that, that, was, that was during my dancing days. So, so during my dancing days, I had been dancing for a friend of mine who had a, a, a record deal. Um, at college you know so I was doing some dancing for her and um, then um I can't remember how it happened but oh it might have happened oh oh um who was it um was it the freestylers or, or someone like that and I wanted to dance for them yeah. and um and they weren't releasing anything but I think the agency or something were looking for an extra dancer for an artist that was coming over and I got roped into that and 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 um it was me and another guy and we ended up dancing for Gwen Guthrie you know ain't nothing going on but the rent got you. that that one right so so that was awesome it was like uh, um and during and also during that time it was kind of early stages of of Bobby Brown and Bobby mm. Brown introducing everybody to MC Hammer to a point, you know, so our style of dance and everything kind of reflected that. Yeah. And um, I, it's, you know, I'd, I'd seen Hudson and Dean dancing for Snap and some of their friends or whatever had gone to my college or whatever. And I really didn't like that style of dancing. You know, it was unentertaining and and then, then they went on to do more, get more work because they ended up doing that sign of stuff for the Pet Shop Boys. And I'm like, yeah, yeah but you know, I, I, you know, I was working at Wembley the other day and I, and, I, and I saw Bobby Brown and I saw Bobby Brown's dancers. You know? And before Bobby Brown came on stage, I saw the Cookie Crew with their dancers called FDM. Yeah, yeah. that's who, I, me and my boys, we, we modeled ourselves on FDM. Yeah, it was, it was uh, me, James and Dean, well, James, James and Dean. Um, two mates of mine from from high, way back from high school I'm still friends with now, but we had a dance troupe called um, RWF Routines yeah. with Flo. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so and so um, during that whole scene, you know, I'm dancing for people and I'm trying and I'm slowly getting um, contracts to the point where I then forget about trying to get an equity card and I'm just kind of dancing here and there and I get some amazing auditional opportunities. Like I got to audition for MC Hammer out in Oakland, California. And, and just before that trip, I was at the fridge in Brixton. I celebrated there a few times. Yeah? Yeah, <laughs> I remember the fridge. It was always cold in there. Like it was, it was so bizarre. Yeah, and it always, and it always had this, this, this faint aroma of, the night before yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
the, the sweat the sweat had been soaked into the floor into the walls <laughs> you, you know but you accepted it because that was club life man yeah um <laughs> and um i was there with my cousin because um she i think it was either her or her friend who was celebrating her birthday and they had gotten me in and i was underage i can admit that but but I had a faint tash coming through and I realized that if I licked it a little bit, uh, you know, it would look a bit darker and I might get in, right? So I got, I got in. <laughs> I'm in there and I'm dancing away. And then there's this guy dancing behind me. And um, I wasn't one of those guys that would turn around and start battling someone on the dance floor. So without turning around, I'd just start doing my, doing my thing and then they'd find <laughs> walk away, right? Um, but then I got this tap on my shoulder and I turn around and this guy says, oh, I'm, I'm a singer. Do you, would you, are you a dancer? Would you, are you a dancer, a professional dancer? And I'm like, no, no, no. And he's like, oh, but would you dance for me? Because I've got a single out and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, okay. I, I, yeah, I'll do that. You know, and yeah. that was G-Man. That was G-Man from the band, right? So yeah. I first met him at Brixton. Um, and I did a few um, gigs with him. And I had another friend of mine, Donovan, um, dancing. So we were the dancers and he was singing and things like that. And then one day he said to me, Dee, man, can, can you rap? And I said, can I rap? I mean, I can write stuff down. <laughs> I said, I can write stuff down, but I'm not a freestyler or anything like that. And he was like, oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. Cause I'm thinking about starting a band. I'm like, okay. You know, um, as much as I could imagine at that point was like, um, uh, whatever band he's putting together, maybe I'd end up being like Damon Hall from Guy, you know, yeah. uh, maybe something a little bit BBs, but mainly con dealing with the entertainment and dance and dances and things like that, but still being part of the band to an extent. Um, and then I went off, had my audition, came back. And when I came back, he had met up with a friend um, that he lived, that lived close to him called um, KG. So he hangs out, he's telling me about KG and they're in the studio. And um, yeah, they start talking about, yeah, we're putting this band together. And D, you can do the choreography and, and, and possibly do some of the raps and things like that. But we need one more guy because the guy we've got, you know, has left because he didn't think we we're going to make it. And he needed to put food on the table. He needed money, he needed a job. Mm -hmm. So he went and worked, off, worked at the Gap while we found another um, singer. And it turns out that, I'm not sure whether it was K or G who knew, knew of T. I think it might have been G that knew of T. And I went to this place, found a new singer, T, cool T, you know, and said, well, look, we're found on putting this thing together, no guarantees. And this is without any kind of deal in the wind or anything. Yeah. yeah. And so we um, started meeting up, rehearsing, doing some acapellas, you know, and then it dawned, it was like, man, I'm going to need to get some singing lessons just to do these acapellas. I, I'm going to have to do that, man. So I disappeared for an intense, um, might be, yeah, an intense six week singing course, which I picked up really quickly with um, a singing instructor called um, Sybil Esmore. I think she had done stuff with, ooh, um, some of the punk boys and the punk bands back in back in the day and things like that mm. and uh we soon found two comfortable ranges for me which was the baritone and the tenor um but i would i had no intention of ever singing lead <laughs> it wasn't that brave yeah. yeah um but i could handle a rap or two and, and things like that and um came back jumped into the acapellas 
And I'm like, oh, dude, you picked that up really quick. Yeah, yeah. So, so that just opened it all up for doing that. And uh, we were called The Juice, D-A-J-E-U-C-E. Yeah, and the first track we did was called Do The Nasty, which was the first, first garage track, first garage track ever, really, because yeah. it had... Um, had the had a soul and the R and B in 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 this two step beat, mm. and Kiss went mad for it. You know, it got playlisted on Kiss FM on when Kiss FM. I think they were still maybe slightly pirate back then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they were just they were just starting to break through, and um, yeah. And then G had heard about this company called First Avenue, and he was pestering them. And then they wanted to see us, and then an offer came through, and that was to them for to try and get us signed and for them to record an album with us. And um, uh, in order to do that, they were going to have to pull the track "Do the Nasty," which we had pulled that from the shelves. And we were like, "Okay, for a deal, okay, yeah, yeah cool." Yeah. And um, th- I think that was kind of more like the genesis from from my side of things. Um, with, with the band but yeah that's how it kind of started nice because being you guys had i mean you had seven top hits in the 25 charts and your biggest chart song was um i got a little something for you so what was it like going into clubs and hearing people driving up the streets playing your song what was that like <laughs> you hear the doorbell <laughs> right um yeah, repeat that question for me. Please. I was going to say, yeah, obviously, uh, you had, um, obviously your, your hit song was I Got a Little Something For You. You had seven songs in the top 25 charts. And what was it like hearing people in the clubs and seeing them driving up down the streets playing your music and seeing people just enjoying your music? What was that like? Um, it, was, it, was, it was pretty surreal. It was pretty surreal because don't forget, before that, there was a year. Yeah, there was a year of recording that album, um, followed by uh, four months. Yeah, four months, uh, three or four months on the road promoting that as mm. as unknowns, um, and you know, just tearing those tearing those road shows apart. You know, they didn't know <laughs> what the hell was going on. Yeah, um, and that was insane because no one knew who we were but these fans had started to like emanate emanate you know and yeah. it was it was nuts um it was it was nice but it was it was one of these things where we were slowly being introduced to the airwaves and mm. so radio one picked up on us pretty damn quick you yeah. know um capital got support from capital radio so all the main radio stations had cottoned onto this band um, that were breaking out onto the onto the scene, and uh, by yeah by the by the time I think it was I think it was January twenty third January twenty third wow nineteen ninety five that track got released, and um, by then you know the road shows had booked us all up you know, for, for, the, for the coming months and, and things like that. Uh, TV had started to happen with things like um, What's Up Doc and Fully Booked and uh, 
live and kicking and blue peter and you know then it's, yeah. it starts it starts getting a little bit surreal now because now you're watching tv um shows that you watch from the comfort of your bed first thing in the morning on a weekend you know um to see the latest video or see this band perform or something um and now we're on this show <laughs> you know being given all this yeah. space and and and, and chatting to them and and the thing is we were so in those moments that it was easy to laugh and joke with them and stuff like that. I, I mean, live TV always, always frightened the, the hell out of me, man. <laughs> to be honest, it always did. And um, yeah, I'll tell you, yeah, I've got a confession to make about a live and kicking thing in a minute, right? Remind me, remind me to say that. I will um, do. But, uh, but, once we had been on um, the iconic Top of the Pops, mm. you know, um, and the producer, um, Rick, I think it's Rick Blackson, I can't remember his surname, um, then defended us when parents were saying, oh, that's too rude, that's too rude and saucy for this time of the evening, whatever, you know, um, and he reminded them that they could always turn the ch change the channel, <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> like, like, hey, brother, thanks, brother, thanks, you know, and then, um, going back on that show the following week and then he says oh I want you to do it worse than you did it before you know um they knew what the entertainment value was you know um and the track itself was already so infectious and new to the scene uh, you, yeah. you'd had you had pop before but you'd ha you didn't have any, there was never anything that was an in-between, like an in-between um, mixture of pop, R&B and swing. Mm. Yeah, swing beat, you know, let alone having uh, any, any raps on there. Because, you know, that would be your summertime hit you as an import from America. Oh, there's yeah. a good cover. Oh, and they got a rap in the last deck, the last bar of the sections of whatever, after the bridge. And that was a standard. That was staple. That was American, right? And we were inspired by all of those artists. Yeah. In the UK, the UK bands were inspired by UK artists. So the UK artists, if you're not doing R&B, swing beat or hip hop or anything like that, um, all that's left is variations of uh, the Osmonds, you know, yeah. or Beatles or, or something like that, you know. So, you know, um, what they considered was R&B was E17 at the time, you know, and the only thing R&B about E17 was Brian Harvey. You know, mm -hmm. Brian Harvey listened to the same stuff we listened to, you know. Um, dude dude was a legend yeah uh, and we loved we loved these 17 and brian was really cool and um and so when we came onto the scene we just cleared everything up mm. yeah um we don't wear clothes the way you wear clothes for you 17 we don't wear those hats and we don't tuck the, the jeans into our boots yeah, yeah that's that that's not r&b right no. yeah um and uh, you can enjoy your raps from uh, PJ and Duncan, you know, which are more hip hop than the Pet Shop Boys. Yeah, but it's still playground rap kind of thing, whatever it is they were doing, you know, and it was had its entertainment value. But then, you know, when we stepped on the scene, it was like the, uh, the, 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 everything else had to recalibrate. <laughs> 
Yeah. Because it looks like the industry had never um, thought about having a band like this ever, you know, and how would you do that? You know, how would you, how would you find the, the talent or how would you create that talent that could do this? And it took, uh, it took us, um, it took us with the fandom of New Edition, Guy, you know, um, knowing about P Diddy, knowing about Dallas Austin, knowing about Teddy Riley specifically, yeah. you know, um, as well as, the greats like the Temptations or the Drifters and things like that. So all of these things we we were aware of, we grew up with, um, and we're going to actually put out there. And to have it, to package it the way that we did, and it it gained that kind of um, what's I can't get my words out to say, um, and get that momentum, you know, that it did, and 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 really hit the spot. You know, the, the routine had to sell that track. We there, you know, and the routine was just to support what the guys, um, what we already listened to and how we would, you know, dance in a club anyway, yeah. you know. Um, and, but then it also, we also needed to uh, perform it the way that you would see an American band come over and perform it, but do it the way that we wanted to do it, you know, um, because the music wasn't, it wasn't pure swing beat and it wasn't pure R&B, you know, um, those were left to B-sides and remixes and whatever, but it was that, it was like 50% was all of that. And then the other 50% was like pop. So it, it fitted into that, that area of music where you're not quite sure if you're going to place it on an R&B chart or a pop chart. And it's now nah, let's just place them on both. Yeah. Yeah, it fit that it fit that kind of arena. Um, but the response we got, you know, it was it was it was it was really really uh, moving, but immense at the same time because it just propelled everything that we were doing, you know, to yeah. um, a higher level. So the audiences were getting bigger. Um, and occasionally if they were small, they would still get a big show performance, you know, um, uh, we would back it up with, with the onstage attitude that we had, um, at, at being so comfortable at home, you know, um, and drop a, drop an, drop an acapella whenever somebody wanted something, you know, or make yeah. something up on the spot, you know, uh, it was, it was, you know, you know, when you're just dialed in, you know, that's what you do. It, it became that, you know, and we all, we all played our parts um, immaculately well, you know, and, and even wanting to be an actor before wanting to do um, being in this position, I got the opportunity to be that person that could just step back a little bit, you know, and, um, and watch these guys perform and, and do what they'd always wanted to do since they were children, mm. you know, and, and to be a part of that and to help, um, help them um, sell that, you know, cause it was all about, it's all about the sales, all about the showmanship, man, but yeah. it was also about backing it up. You know, we could sing and dance all at the same time, you know, um, cause we rehearsed that way. You know, um, 
and 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 because they were our routines, um, we pick we could pick and choose a live show how much of a routine we wanted to do or how much we didn't want to do. Yeah, and that might and that decision might just happen live on stage, or we might say it beforehand. You know, um, whereas you know all the other bands, this is what we rehearsed. And this is what we're going to do. You know, they, you know, you watch those bands from those from those times, and it's like from beginning to end, that's their routine. Yeah. Um, we had that for TV. We did that for TV, you know, but when we went live, we did our own thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when they went live ish, um, they did what they had been <laughs> rehearsed to do. You know, it wasn't that there wasn't that freedom, element of freedom. Um, and I think that energy was quite evident, especially with the fans, because then they would see that it was a different show. They didn't do that. They didn't do that before, whatever. And, it, you know, but it was, yeah. um, I don't know, man. You know, I think we, me and the guys, we all get chills when we think about the party in the park and we headline that and trying to leave the park, you know, um, became a mission because the, the whole tour bus was surrounded you know, and they wouldn't let us move, you know, um, things just nuts, man, just nuts. Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was the dream, you know, um, and especially at that time, because what I noticed, whether it's true or not, but what I noticed is that we were, um, during the late 80s and early 90s, we were getting these summer hits coming from these American artists. And some of them had staying power to, to keep repeating and have lots of their singles released over here and, and things like that. And others were relegated to just summer hits. Mm. Um, as soon as um, this country created um, their own girl band, like Eternal, yeah, yeah. we stopped hearing from En Vogue. Yeah. We stopped hearing from SWV. You know, it was just like, oh, we don't need that import anymore. We've got our own art band, which is which is the revenue, you know. Um, and um, I felt that that in a way had, had uh, was where we were. You know, we came in during that whole period. You know, we came in after Color Me Bad. We came in after, um, uh, oh my goodness, I'm trying to think now. Um, all for one and, and things like that. You know what I mean? We came in long after those things. And the last ones to come through were K7. Yeah. Come, baby, come, baby, baby, come, baby, come. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a tune. And, I've got that on vinyl. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it was that classic video, isn't it? It was that classic yeah. summer video and it's just the guys rolling and stuff. And then um, and EYC. Yeah. You turn that video off and your mum comes in the room sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what's that song about? Um, nothing, mum. Nothing. Nothing, nothing. Just a tune. <laughs> yeah. No. And, and, and also an EYC, you know, yeah. and they appeared on the Smash It's Pole Winners Party the year before we came out. And if it was, and I'll always say this, if it wasn't for EYC coming out, um, Columbia Records would never have released I've Got a Little Something For You because mm. we were saying we want, uh, we want to release this track. They were saying, eh, it's a bit too gimmicky, it's a bit too, you know, and, and whatever and stuff like that. Saying, 
hang on, but that's what's happening, you know? And they wouldn't yeah. listen. No, the first single is going to be Baby It's You. And I'm thinking, for the first single? <laughs> that, you know, that's, 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 you know, that, that's close to, to dreary and mid-tempo-ish, man. You want to work your way into that, mm. you know? Um, and then EYC came out and then it was like, yep, I've got something for you, you know? And um, yeah, we took, took control of, of, of everything to do with that, that aspect. Yeah. You know, um, they gave us a choreographer, but what choreographer could you give us if um, no, one's, no one's entertained having a band like this? You know, you can't, you can't give us a choreographer who then is going to choreograph our routines as if we would take that because that's not the music and that's not the style, you know? Um, or it could have been anybody, um, E17, not music, not the style. And so um, after the first day of, of being given a choreographer like that, um, I had to make that call because literally I'm like, I'm the only one here who could, who could choreograph this thing. Um, and I'm looking at the guy's faces and they were like, man, look, we can compromise. We can compromise mixing a little bit of pop with what we're doing, but this could actually be soul destroying. <laughs> you know? and, and you can see on their faces, you can see like, you know, this thing, like, what have we done? You know, is this where it's going? <laughs> if our friends and family see us dancing like this, this is, this is, all, this is all over, you know? Um, and, and they didn't have to say that. You can read it, you know it. Mm. And so I called at First Avenue and said, um, no, we'll, we'll do this ourselves, you know? Um, yeah. And I think a part of them were waiting for us to fail so that they could say, oh, look, we know what we're doing. We know this and stuff. And, um, but uh, fortunately, we didn't. You know, um, I knew what the guys could do and what they couldn't do and stuff. And it was just, you know, I think about it now, like I see clips of them and it's like, I'm like, I don't remember that in the routine. I don't remember <laughs> that or whatever. So like, you know, because if something's looking at thinking, all right, that was good. That was good. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, there were just so many little things. And in the back of my mind, I'm just thinking, if we can be successful enough to have, you know, um, uh, top 10 hits, you know, maybe a few albums or something like that, maybe it'll get to the point where I can still do my acting because I still wanted to do that. Yeah. And I was thinking, well, what if, you know, you're doing a film and um, the guys land um, a concert gig, you know, it's just like, yeah, but at least it'd be cool for them to say, well, D isn't here because he's shooting a movie. You yeah. know, those types of things, you know, they're complicated behind the scenes because it's just like, what are we going to do? <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and I know T could probably do all my raps and stuff like that as well. So um, I, I used to think like that and think that far ahead. Um, but it was, it was still all about um the show that we could deliver because no one could do it they you know no one knew how to do it mm. um they were slowly starting to to break certain bands through but um they were trying to break them through when our we were still reaching our arc and so a lot of bands that were trying to come through you know at best maybe got mediocre or or lost their deals eventually and things like that you know um 
you know but it was yeah it was just those 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 days man you know I, I get taken back I have flashbacks I can't listen to the album if I listen to the album um as soon as I start with the first song I've got something for you um within a matter of seconds it's the last track and I don't remember listening to any of those songs all I remember is flashback after flashback after flashback after flashback <laughs> you know of being in the studio recording it um yeah. or a gig that we were at or you know it's it, nice memories to have but it's kind of it's they're, they're deep <laughs> yeah. because you guys you got to be on a janet jackson's tour i mean that's how big you guys got i mean she's yeah. a huge superstar i mean I, I when i was looking up i saw that and i was like no way janet jackson that's mad we were we were in the middle of having an interview with um zig and zag <laughs> no, i remember zig yeah. And zag. <laughs> yeah. Class, class act, man. Class act. We were being interviewed by by the the, the cream of the crop, um, Zig and Zag. We love Zig and Zag on Big Breakfast. And I think it was in one of the breaks, you know, they turned around and asked us if there's any news. Have we got any updates or anything like that? And we didn't, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then our manager put his head around the corner and says, tell him you're opening up for Janet Jackson, you know. Um, and we thought he was joking and, and you know and we were piss takers anyway so we were just like yeah yeah we're over that Jackson and stuff like that you know and then after and then like oh really really we thought we were pulling one over on them yeah, yeah. then afterwards um uh, the manager revealed it no you you have you, you are and then it turns out that everyone knew she was coming eventually because she was on a world tour um but in the industry, they knew that she was looking for four acts. She was looking for four acts to open up for her. Um, and uh, Sony had sent her our um, videography or album and, and some stuff or whatever. And then she turned around and said, um, right, Emanate, that's all I want. Hmm. Yeah. That's, that's so mad. so, so uh, within a matter of, Ooh, was it? I think it might have been less than a month. We put together the opening for the show. Um, Al Berlin, a stylist that we had early on back then, um, tracked down some um, some stage clothes for us to wear. Um, and Al, bless him, I'm, I think he's passed away um, a, lo- a while back or whatever, but bless him, you know, it got to the point where he turned around and he said to me, look, everything I'm turning up with, you know, um, is either kind of wrong or whatever, or slightly in the ballpark, but, you know, come with me and let's pick some stuff out. So I went with him and we're picking stuff out. So he, he knew kind of what our style was. And yeah. then he said, you know what, you, you're, you're better off doing this. You're better off doing it than, than me because, and at the time, I didn't realize that he's giving up, what, 500 pound a day to tell me that, you know, I think you should do this, yeah. you know, um, and I love him eternally for it because, um, yeah, at some point, at some stage, I ended up doing the styling for the band as well, you know, um, but that was based upon knowing their style. We dress like that anyway, you know, and, and the fact that our routines could go from raunchy, up-tempo um, uh, routines with I've Got Something For You, we could we could bring it down with some of those slower ghetto beats, you know, yeah. that were that were hidden in pop. Oh yeah, but we could slow down with those ghetto beats. <laughs> um, 
to do, to do some uh, drifter-esque routines or temptation-esque routines, you know, um, but are still holding on to this, uh, um, what do you call it? This kind of um, honoring of honoring of the past, you know what I mean? So we're giving it out of respect, you know, we're going to keep this kind of un uniformity you know um with, with the way that we dress we'll get loose with it or whatever but it was part of that thing was saying well look, the, when you dress the same it wasn't just neat and tidy it was about being part of your clique being part of your clan you know what i mean yeah. and in america they would go to extremes and and all wear the suits whether it was new edition and, and things like that whatever for for their modern tracks but we could do that with the street clothes you know, um, yeah. the street clothes were, were, you know, as long as they were baggy, they'll still be smart enough, you know, to, to drop any one of those routines. And um, yeah, we kept that. We kept that. And we knew, you know, at the time, at the time we knew some, some, some people were like, oh, they dress the same and blah, 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 blah. blah. But knowing the history, you've got to know the history of it. You know, um, white bands dressed the same because it was smart. It was neat. It was tidy. Yeah. yeah. Um, then some of the rock bands came out, you know, and, and gave and gave it a little bit more freedom, you know, even the indie, the hippie bands, you know, <laughs> gave, gave it a little bit more freedom. Um, but, you know, that uniformity technically is what most bands have at some stage or another um, or had at that stage just because of that, that, that kinship that they had, you know, um, yeah. rather that brotherly bond or sisterly bond um and so so we were firmly in that but we were pushing that to the extremes you know i remember picking up some musto sailing gear man and and selling the hell out of that you know um and that was our version of um jodeci's scuba gear stuff that they wore on the cover of diary of a mad band mm. you know um because jodeci were, were massive influences on us um, so whenever you heard us singing live, you heard our resonating tones that we had been practicing based upon what they had done. Um, on the mics, um, I, uh, what, did I, what did I get them to on the mics? On the, on, on the mics, um, we would have this resonating tone. And occasionally, if we didn't have the band, it would be performed to ADAT. And then what we'd still do is have the bottom lines of, or the root notes of those harmonies, yeah? Um, yeah. Still on the ADAT. Yeah, still on the ADAT, but just as if it was backing singers you had, yeah? But just singing their single, single parts. Then we would layer on top of that, yeah? Um, with our vocals and it would resonate, you know, to the point that, you know, when they, when the track ends, they take it out, we're still resonating. Mm. Yeah. Um, based upon what that note was doing. Um, just these little things. And I, and I'd learned that from, uh, watching some new edition documentary or something about Motown or something that had that mentioned them to some degree. So yeah, yeah. So, so things like that. We just played around with so many different things, you know. Um, the band was, yeah, it was it's such a creative pop because 
the guys, the guys are absolutely 100% talented. Yeah? yeah. Today, you've never heard anybody drop a vocal like KG. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No one sings with vibrato, let alone singing vibrato on R&B. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we've got our Johnny Gill, Teddy Pendergrass, uh, cool T, getting ready to, to, to boost those bridges, mm. you know. And then we've got our um, Charlie Wilson, Aaron Hall, um, G-Man, um, sitting right in the middle of all of that. Yeah. yeah? And then I come in and all I'm doing is either putting a baritone underneath that, giving that residence, yeah, or covering a tenor if someone's singing that, singing there, doing an ad lib or something like that. And then when it came to raps, I would say, I don't rap. Yeah, I'd say I don't <laughs> rap. I'm not a rapper, but um, it was about stringing hooks. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd li I liked to string hooks and was slow and then slowly started to develop that more as we went into the Freaky album. Um, like talk to, uh, talk to you um, uh, and even a B-side for your flavor. There's only a little bit of rap on that. Um, but yeah, this whole thing with me went from, was Funkadelic, you know, I like Tupac because he came from Digital Underground, you know, and they were into yeah. their P-Funk, you know. Um, so yeah, it had to, for me, it slowly became a little bit more Funkadelic in terms of how you're stringing these hooks together or, or how you're playing with words. Um, but dude, man, that's it. You asked, you asked an immense question right there. So, <laughs> You know, it's there's, there's so many so many little things in all of that. You know, um, that went into um, the band. You know, to the point where you know, just before we 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 disappeared, there, you you saw the clones coming out. You saw the clones coming out of the woodwork, and and I was on the you know T like cool T. He's doing his solo stuff now, whatever, and it's you know he's 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 made such a huge journey and, and a leap and everything and it's beautiful. But I was talking to him on Instagram once and he said, yeah, yeah. I remember we were at our road show and, 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 and 911 were performing and, and, um, and you got pissed off because they were copying, uh, copying one of our moves. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'm like, I'm like, Oh yeah. I wasn't pissed off that they were copying our moves. I was pissed off that they were doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah. because, all, because all of the bands that came out to fabricate, um, and become a part of that machine of just churning that stuff out, that, that manufactured stuff that was churned out, um, didn't have any soul. You know, um, if you're going to dance like us, know where the moves come from. You know, yeah. I can tell you where I took this move from. I can tell you the opening for our Janet show was inspired by um, Prince. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, nice. and that's, and that's and at, at, at Prince's um, new tour at the beginning of Party Man, um, the Game Boys, Damon, Kirk, and Damon, Damon, Kirk, and Tony um, were in their little zoot suit type things or whatever. And you heard yeah. this, you heard this walk. You went clap, 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 clap. Oh hell, the new King Town, Party Man. <laughs> right and then it'll get, it'll get into this track right and so at the beginning of our show you know we were stood in the dark and then and then one after the other the light would come down on one of us and we'd turn around and and, and do one of those locking moves and then that walk would come out mm. duh, 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 duh. 
dinner. Everybody get up and get down. Emanates in the house, right? But that get down, uh, get up and get down, that's from MC Hammer. Yeah. Mm. But he, he wasn't singing, he wasn't singing about Emanate, obviously. But that that string and that, those hooks or whatever, it was all crafted, but it was crafted by us because we knew where it was coming from. Um, yeah. When these other bands came out, you know, and they're doing these dance moves and it's just like, you can, you're like, okay, so you were taught that five minutes ago. You know, um, it, you know, it, it, it was what it was, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, no one could know it. Can't nobody do it like Emanate and no one has done it like Emanate ever since, you know, but uh. it, it did change the face of music after we came out, you know, you, then you had your fives then you had, you know, um, blue, and then you had all these other bands, and um, you know, it was it was nice to be a part of that that yeah. change in in British music. You know, um, and I was speaking to somebody at Sony once, and they and they did, and they said, "You do know you're the biggest selling international R and B boy band, black R and B boy band of the UK for the '90s, for for '95, yeah," hmm. and. Um, I was like, no, I did not know that, you know, but that's forever, you know, um, and um, I'll take that, you know, yeah. you know, me and the, me and the guys will take that and say, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for this great honor <laughs> <laughs> of entertaining your asses, you know, but, um, but no, it was, it was so much fun. It was. So uh, what happened at Live and Kicking, you said to remind you about it? <laughs> Thank you, dude. Thank you. Um, right. Now, this is based on me um, being absolutely petrified of live TV. Yeah. And somehow it was a Halloween special. And I had been nominated to go and sit in this chair. Yeah. Um, and they and um, who were the guys? Um, the two comedians that they had on the show. Yeah. Um, Tre Trevor. Simon and Trevor, yeah. that's it. I think it was. Yeah, um, and they were going to throw these 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 things at me, and I was just going to these words or whatever. I was got to try and guess what the word was. Yeah, and um, and it was all to do with all to do with Halloween. And as I'm walking onto the set to to sit in place, like they're all filming, they're filming a bit, getting ready to do this, do the um crossover and and coverage, and I'm sat there. And I'm surrounded by all these kids. And, you know, I said, and I said, to, I said to one of the kids, what's, what's the secret word? You can tell me, I won't tell nobody. <laughs> <laughs> and the kid told me the secret word and this girl next to him said, oh, you're not supposed to tell him. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and so the chair turns around or it comes to me and they say, right, the clock is ticking now. And they said something like Halloween. And I, and I gave it a minute. Well, I gave it less than that. I was like, hmm, pumpkin. Yes, D's got it. D's got it. <laughs> and, and the thing is, with that, it meant that your face was going to be on that screen every week until somebody else got the question in a quicker time than you. Yeah. And I think I was on there for about six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 yeah, you know, in my defense, it was because I was scared. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, 
but yeah, yeah, yeah. So so every so every week, um, we had free promotion. We had free pro- uh, free promotion on their show. Just by having my face on. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, because obviously, like, um, I got a little something for you. It's such a big tune. Um, did you know that it was going to be featured in the film Bad Boys, or does that something you just watch the film and you suddenly realise, oh, that's Will Smith driving to my music? Like, like I said, you know, we were the first kind of pop R&B band, you know, a legitimate pop R&B band because we were four black guys, you know. Mm. Um, you know, so so any form of, of success that we were having um, was always overwhelming. You know, we could hide that with our smiles and joking around or whatever, but on the tour bus or on in the hotel room or lobby or something like that, we sit there like, whoa. <laughs> did you yeah. see that today did you see that today you know and it's like yeah yeah you know um uh so you know what was nice is that when columbia records would would, would, would do something would get you on something like that or do something for you you would find out after the fact and you would mm-hmm. only find out after the fact if they were successful at doing whatever they wanted to do or get done with you you know um and so uh, I'm not sure, I can't even remember at what stage it was we found out, you know, it might've been the middle of middle of 95 or some, yeah. somewhere, you know, I can't remember when, when Bad Boys was released here, but all of a sudden, you know, we were told uh, um, we've got you on, on, on a soundtrack, Bad Boys movie. And it's like, well, what's that? And it was Will Smith and Martin Lawrence and time. Knew, knew who Fresh Prince was, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know? Um, and uh, for it to be an American movie and for it to be a big blockbuster movie, yeah. Ooh, goosebumps, goosebumps again. <laughs> you know, um, for it to be a blockbuster movie, um, that never happened to, to uh, any of, of the R&B bands to whatever degree that came before us, you know, and this was the like the new age this is 95 you know these this movie's being made by jerry bruckheimer you know yeah. um i think ron simpson was don simpson was working on it at the time so that amazing duo you know and um amazing soundtrack it was just it took us by surprise we had no idea you know yeah. um sony gave us some t-shirts or whatever um, some bad boys caps and whatever. Then we heard we were being flied to, we were being flown to um, upstate New York because Donny Aina was um, having like um, an, an album showcase, a soundtrack showcase and things like that. And uh, yeah, I, th- yeah, I think we performed, we performed there. The dude lived, the, dude lived in, in Harry Bellifonte, I can't even say Harry Bellifonte's house, mansion, you yeah. know. Um, um acres yeah white picket fence it was like dallas <laughs> you remember Dallas? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know it was it was it was like that you know i remember the stage was at one end the house was at the other end um behind the house there was a um a golf course um and to the left hand side there were some tennis courts and i think there might have been a basketball court i'm not sure um and they'd given us a golf cart buggy to drive around which was the worst nice. thing. Worst thing. <laughs> we drove that thing all over the place. I think we drove it into a ditch and stuff like that. And it was just, <laughs> it was insane. Um, but 
most of those people that were on that soundtrack were performing there as well, mm. you know, and uh, to be in New York um, and to first of all go to um, Manhattan and do an interview with Write On Magazine and Blackbeat Magazine, you know, yeah. those were the only sources to find out what was going on musically in R&B uh, back in the 90s. And to, to be on the cover of that with, with all these other artists, that was a trip, yeah? Um, also having photo shoots with them. Uh, yeah, photo, photo shoots with, with those magazines. Then being driven up to upstate New York for um, Donny Ina's party. Um, dude, that, that doesn't happen. That just doesn't happen, you know? Um, it doesn't happen that... Uh, we do road shows and steal the show, you know, sometimes intentionally, but mo most other times it was, just, you, you can't help that. Yeah. Because, because of, because of, I think it was <laughs> because of the gyrating hips, you work them, work them up into a frenzy. To a point. <laughs> no, I think that's what was going on. Right. Because you can't help what happens after that. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. it is all, all on you after that. Right. But um, you don't expect that. You know, um, you don't expect the uh, the TV shows to be clamoring for you. you. Don't expect to be in the A list playlist for Capital and Radio One, dude. I, as a kid, I mean, I used to listen to Capital Radio when I'm when I was getting ready for school and things like that, and and the D, and the, all those DJs which were changing, you know. And at that point, when I was at high school or college, I think Chris Tarrant was running things. Yeah, you know, I, so I know Chris Tarrant very well, you know, even from Tiswas, but this I knew I felt like I knew him better from from Capital Radio. And after, you know, I'm at home uh, the day after performing, um, opening up for Janet Jackson, you know, maybe I think we're going back for, for another show that evening or whatever. But on the radio, I'm hearing um, Chris Tarrant say the best thing about Janet Jackson so was M&A. They were amazing. They were, and I, we had never met Chris Tarrant, yeah? Um, and had no idea that anybody in that field could feel that way about m &A. You know, uh, because we yeah, were on Janet's stage, but everything behind us is all covered and stuff. So other than us... Uh, running about and, and singing and doing our routines and things like that. That's the only show that we had. And we had, we had some sound effects playing, you know, and lighting effects and things like that. Mm. But for our 20 minute set for Janet, um, you know, it, it had to have that impact. So the first half was, was kind of up-tempo tracks, you know, second half, you know, um, there was even an inter intermission for our set. Yeah, where yeah. we change, put white shirts and sing Lonely and what I used to love that track, Lonely, you know, um, and, and get into the slow track, the slow kind of like um, romantic tunes and things like that. And then end with I've got something for you on a, on a, on a big high. Yeah. And, um, and that was the show, you know, but for that to be enough for somebody to think, oh, my goodness, this that was amazing. And especially it being Chris Tarrant. 
you know, I think I met him years, a couple of years later um, at the BBC. I think he, I think I was getting out of a taxi and he was getting in one or whatever, but I had to stop him and I just said, thank you. And he said, yeah, but it's true. But I had to look up to him, he's tall, man. <laughs> you know, and he's looking down at me and said, yeah, but it's true. So, um, you know, that was, you know, so many, so many amazing moments, you know, and just to bring up Janet Jackson, you know, we made sure we watched every single show. Mm. You know, we didn't uh, stay in the dressing room or anything like that. We watched every single show because you wanted to be able to look back in years to come and say, I, not only did I tour with Janet, but I watched every single one because I was aware of the opportunity and the impossible circumstances that I'm in. Yeah. No, you want you want to, you know. It it goes a little bit VHS your memory after a while, because you know. Yeah. But you want to at least say at least say I was recording at that time, you yeah. know. Um, yeah. So yeah. So but Bad Boys. Um, after that, um, there was a Bob Hoskins movie called The Rainbow, and um, they literally, I think they played the whole of If You Only Let Me In, in that movie. You know, and I only caught that randomly on Sky a good few years ago. I'm like, oh yeah, the rainbow. Someone was saying we on the soundtrack to that, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't given that much um, hype because it was swallowed up by bad boys, really. Yeah, you know. So, um, so to get to see that, and it's about this, and I can't remember what the movie's about. Some kid, he's, he's running from one place to another, and it takes the whole of that track. And I'm like, okay, he's running for, he's, <laughs> hey, he's, he's a marathon runner, man. But, um, but yeah, things, yeah, all those things, just so many little, little things, you know, you get to hang out with, you're hanging out with the Backstreet Boys, you're meeting Brownstone, you're meeting TLC, um, Jodeci come over. And on Tim Westwood's show, Tim Westwood says, are there any bands over here or artists over here that you're really looking up to and think are, are really awesome and things like that? And, you know, Tim Westwood, he's, he's plugging for who's, a, who's the latest rapper you've heard about or, or, yeah. or hip hop artists or whatever. And they turned around and just said m and you know, and then later on, we find out after the fact that Mr. Dalvin and KC remix Happy. And then once he did that, that's the only. That's the only um, uh, instrumental we wanted to sing to when we were performing live. But yeah, the Jodeci mix. Yeah, that would be the one. Oh, <laughs> you know? um, but you know, just you know, and and I've got some for you. Was the first remix P Diddy ever did for Bad Boys Entertainment? Yeah, yeah. I know. I know he got screwed. I know he got screwed on that deal, but we found out afterwards because um, you know he did about nine mixes and at least one of them was supposed to be the single mix, you know, and he was told that. And, you know, once, once it all got over here or whatever they had, they did whatever they wanted to do, but P did he remix one of our tracks? Yeah. You know, mad. that's big. Eternally, eternally grateful to all of these, all of these people, you know, um, and to, you know, and to be, and to stand side by side with some of them, mm. you know, Kylie, Kylie Minogue was introducing us on top of the pops. <laughs> Kylie, bless her. <laughs> She's not very sweet, is she? 
No, but you know, but it's just, you know, these in that world, in that bubble, you have certain celebrities, certain actors, certain musicians, certain producers, you know, everybody is within this entertainment bubble, you know, and to be on the same show as some of these people, you know, mm -hmm. and these people know your name, you know, um, where they've only got to know you over the press's coverage for the past month or so, and you've been watching them for years, you know, um, we loved Andy Peters on, on Live and Kicking, you know, it was just like, dude, what, <laughs> you, <Yeah. laughs> you know, and, and, um, and by the time we get to meet him, he's, he's not, he's not so, he doesn't come across so young and, um, and kind of, what's the word? Cause kind of, you know, uh, like he's not in control, like he's just there to get paid, but he's part yeah. of the production by the time we get to meet him and he's full of confidence and he knows this and blah, blah, blah. And, and you're like, whoa, you know, um, the only person we, I, the only person I wanted to meet, I didn't get to meet was Phil Schofield and Emma. Who is it? Emma, was it, I can't remember Emma's oh, surname. Yeah, I remember, yeah. Um, yeah. I can't remember either. Like, um, yeah, yeah, but you remember the face. Yeah, though, yeah, yeah the I know face. the faces. You know, I mean, they were the face of, of Live and Kicking, you know. Um, we got to do the show eventually and met some other lovely people, but it was just like, oh, that, that would have been cool. But it's, and it goes so fast, dude. It goes so fast that to kind of um, stop in the moment, and take it all in is is impossible. So everything's everything's on record on you know yeah. VHS on long, long play, but you know, um, but yeah, you, you try you try and take it all in because you don't you can't take anything for granted. And nothing like this had ever happened for a band like us before in the, in, in the UK. Yeah. So to be in that position, it's uh, it was it was truly amazing. I mean, obviously, obviously. So then, the band days sort of they they wound down a bit, and then you started moving back into acting. So, can you tell us how? Uh, obviously, because you were in Batman Begins. So, when did that come into play? Oh wow! Um, all right. So, so off. Yeah, after Eminem, I kind of. I didn't kind of. I knew I had to find an agent. Like I knew I had some kind of leverage behind me now. Um, having come from the band. It was just whether it was going to be enough leverage to get me in the room because it's music and not stage and it's not TV and not film. And uh, you know, it took me it took me a couple of tries, and I think it was just my I think it was my second second agent that I I came across that really knew how to break me into. Um, auditioning and 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 doing all those things so I had done I oh dude I had an audition for um my very first film audition was for human traffic oh I remember human traffic I, oh my god yeah right now that's my very first casting yeah I had no idea what they were throwing at me you know, I thought, okay, I learned that script. I've got to say that. Okay, cool. They took the script away and say, oh, now wing it like you were just selling fish down the market. And I'm like, say what? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> sell, sell, sell me this record that I don't want. 
you know, and all of that, you know, I was so far away from any college training that could have prepared me for something like that, that that casting didn't go well, man. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't feel like I did. I I got to do my best because I was so out of my depth. And then when I saw um, uh, a clip from that movie, because I still haven't seen it, I still haven't seen it. It's it's on my list to see now because it's been so such a but um, the black actor that was that they got in to do that part is so good. I'm like, oh, that's what they meant. You know what I mean? But that distance, it, you know, it was just like, no, nah, the right person did get the job. But I, I really wasn't in the right place to be at that level to do castings like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so in between that, you know, I ended up doing Shakespeare workshops up in Camden. Um, and then... And then one at, at the Westminster Westminster Theatre, I think it's not. I think it's no longer there, but that was in Victoria in the West End. And uh, then that from that workshop, the director put me in two of his plays, which was Romeo and Juliet and a Scottish play. And um, so I got to play an array of characters in the Scottish play. Then uh, I got to play Paris in Romeo and Juliet. Now. The only reason why I was able, I was getting into this Shakespeare stuff is because I'd seen Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet, which is still awesome, yeah? And the most awesome thing about it is I was watching it and I understood what was going on, <laughs> yeah? It's like I didn't need subtitles for this language that I thought that I was going to struggle with. And um, I got drawn into that and then, yeah, little plays, little plays here and there, and then uh, Panto, mm. you know? So I was doing Panto and it was, I was two of those years I was um, reprising my, my 10 year old character of the genie of the lamp. But this time he wasn't camp, he was like cool and American-esque, you know? Yeah. Um, and then for the other five years, I was playing um, Tommy the Cat in his and Boo's Dick Whittington. And so that was creature and all that kind of stuff. I didn't know it was creature work, but I just thought this is this is as fun or whatever. And not only that, his and Boo was was owned by the late Ian Liston, Ian Liston, who played Wes Jensen in Empire Strikes Back. And I didn't find that out until um, later on in the day as well. So there was this 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 thing about Star Wars creeping in. You yeah. know, in, in the in these early things that I was doing, but then finally, uh, I I don't think I didn't do any extra work. I didn't do any extra work, but I was hired for Batman Begins because Chris Nolan wanted to hire some character support for the main actors. Yeah. So you were going to get your main actors, character support. And then you're supporting supporting actors or the extras, right? But the but the character actors were literally go were just actors he wanted in and around Gotham, so that if he gave them dialogue, he knew he was given dialogue to an actor to perform. Yeah. So um, you know, I, oh man, there's a story for that man. There's a story. I was. <laughs> You know, I was in, I was in Malta chilling, chilling um, with my with my another family I love over there, the caravanas. And I got back, and my agent said to me, 
oh, D, I had to cancel a casting for you because um, uh, you were away. Um, uh, it was for it was for Batman. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and she said, she said, uh, she, and I said, I said, I said, oh, can you can you still find out if they still see me today? Still see me today? And she says, yeah, yeah, I'll make that phone call. I'll make the phone call. And so I come home, and then um, uh, I get a message from Pauline, from my agent Pauline, saying, "Oh, they said, um, would you like to come in at one o'clock or two? No, twelve o'clock or two, or one o'clock." And I said, "One o'clock," because then I get time to shower because I've just got off the plane and everything like that. And she said, "Great," and I'm like, "Awesome, right?" Yeah. And so um, while I'm getting ready, I'm I'm kind of in my head thinking, you know what could it be for, for Batman? What could it be? Maybe I'm a police officer or something like that. Maybe I see something I'm not supposed to. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what was that? <laughs> anything, anything. I was doing all of these things. And then I turn up at the, at, the, um, at the casting and I'm sat outside and I hear the casting director saying to an actor, okay, imagine that you've just come across and you've just seen Batman and you're a police officer. And I'm like, I can do that, right? And then, yeah. and then um, all I'm hearing <laughs> from the actor inside is effing this, effing that. And I'm like, <laughs> there ain't no effing in comic book, comic book movies, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I went in there, she told me that, she said she was gonna give me five or 10 minutes to prepare or whatever. And I'm like, oh, I got this, I already prepared, man. Did that at home, right? Did that, you know? Um, on the way back, I called my agent and said, thank you for getting me the audition. You know, it was just like, at least I was seen. She calls me back and said, and said, oh, I thought you were calling me to tell me that they had told you before they told me. I said, said told me what? Oh, you're on set tomorrow morning. Right? Nice. So I was like, <laughs> what? And yeah, and, and, and the rest is kind of history from there. I was, um, as soon as I reached the set, I thought I was going to be playing an Arkham um, prisoner or something like that and then every five minutes I think it was a first AD second AD third AD like details details um there you are yeah, yeah. you're not playing a prisoner you're gonna be playing a gothic police officer I'm like all right cool cool yeah. details details <laughs> you know all over <laughs> place. I'm like, like yep yeah, yep yeah, got it got it and um yeah they but they did literally have to pad me out yeah, because I'm, I'm, I'm a very small frame. So they put yeah. me in this bomber jacket and I said, nah, I took it off. Put on a bulletproof vest. Okay, now put on the bomber jacket. Okay, that's better. You know, <laughs> um, give me this belt, this policeman's belt, which weighed a ton. It had a, had a gun on there, had, um, uh, cuffs on there. And um, I remember walking towards the airship hangar. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where, where Gotham City was all inside. And as soon as I stepped in, my belt just went straight down to my ankles. <laughs> yeah. And I'm almost falling on my face. And then they had to come over and, and give me more support for that because I, I don't have much of a waist. So that, you know, um, but the first thing I remember hearing when I walked into that airship hangar was this <laughs> And it shook the whole place. Yeah. And it was just like, that's the Batmobile. No, it's that right. Oh, dude. Goosebumps. See? Told you, right? <laughs> but, um, just being on the set for that 
you know, um, me and another guy, Andrew, Andrew Price, another actor, we were just, you know, you're like thinking, you know, but they might give us some dialogue, you know, you might get lucky. And then, but they gave us some dialogue to one of our mates. So in that movie, I think it's Dominic, um, who yells up to Katie Holmes when she's on the, the tram station and asks if she's okay. And then once yeah. he got that dialogue, we were celebrating. Yeah, one of us got some dialogue. You know? <laughs> but, um, but that was such a great experience. And uh, that, you know, by the time it, that experience was reprised again, was for Paul Greengrass and, he, and, you know, and it was for Captain Phillips. But yeah. by that point, you know, I don't know. I mean, I loved um, Paul Greengrass. I obviously loved, loved the Bourne movies, just worshipped those Bourne movies. But I don't know. I just reached that point where it's just like, yeah, I've kind of, I've kind of been here and I've kind of done this now, you know, yeah. uh, to not be contributing of anything of, of significance and just being another, just another part of that layer. Yeah. Um, that you know, it, yeah. That after that, I sort of said to my agent, "No, I'm not doing any more films." Mm. You know, um, it was it was too much of a tease. You know, you bring me onto a set, you know, but I don't get any dialogue. You bring me onto a set, I don't feel like I'm really part of what's going on. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so so I, I yeah, I called it a day on on doing those and. Um, you know, I mean, like even for like in Batman Begins, you know, there's there's moments where there's one particular moment where you'll spot me for a second, you know. But um, I remember when uh, they'd released Ra's al Ghul released the fear gas into Gotham and yeah. um, and then everybody sees this mutated Batman. But he was actually in that mutated suit. The suit was flawless. The suit was oh. amazing. Yeah, and the cape was this black velvet thing and what it was like, what? Just cut the mouth out, use that suit, <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Um, and there's a moment where um, the crowd and the mob pounce on him. Mm. And in that split second, you can see the silhouette of a policeman's hat or whatever, you know, reaching, reaching over him or whatever and stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, that's me, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> you know, um, but to be a part of be a part of that trilogy in that minute aspect was I think it was more about me climatizing and seeing if I could fit into that world because if I hated that then it would be like well maybe I don't like that process maybe I just need to get a regular job you know and go yeah. pop some burger in, in McDonald's or, or, or something you know um, uh, but I didn't. You know, the days that we were there were like the sunniest days in June or July. Um, I had had to cancel going to the Hyde Park concert of um, Simon and Garfunkel that my yeah. mate had, because we were like, man, that's going to be a cool audience to be sat in, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, to that, you know. And I remember um, being on set as that summer sun went down and stuff like that and just thinking, okay, all right, yeah, so this is, you know, another confirmation, this is really what I want to do. I want to be involved in things like this. Mm. And uh, yeah, that, yeah, it kind of, yeah, that's kind of where it went. It went from there, from Batman Begins to Captain Phillips. And, and I called it a day after that, a day after that. 
Yeah. So what was being on Captain Phillips like? It was, it was, um, there was something very Bourne-esque about it. And, and, and you loved that. You know, I was playing a UK MTO operator, you know, the guys who watch the radar screens and things like that. And just, just watching how Paul was directing his crew or how the second unit were directed to, to film it or how they were going to have the camera suspended on these ropes so you get a little bit of movement with it and things and just just you know it was like being in a hub the only thing you know being in a um a secret uh fbi or cia hub only we weren't looking for for jason you know we were yeah. looking for pirates <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah and not jack sparrow either but we were looking for pirates so you know um that was it, it was beautifully surreal to to be a part of that and i think we only saw we saw tom hanks once and that was just when he was going from one stage to another stage yeah you know um and he's a tall man now that guy's big you know um like his movie so um it was <laughs> that whole thing you know it was just kind of you know it was it was a, it was surreal uh, let's yeah, say like say yeah. it was it was very surreal and you know, in a way, I was gutted that I couldn't do more. I was thinking, well, maybe I could have been at Navy. I could have been at SAS, you man. You ain't going to listen to me speak. You know, I can do American accent, but you ain't going to be dialogue anyway. So, you know, yeah. I, could have, I could have been dressed but look cool for something like that. Rather than like the white T-shirt, the short sleeve and the tie and little pin. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but that was another thing to actually see that director in the flesh see Tom Hanks in the flesh, you know, and not be phased by it, you know, and think, you know, yeah, you know, I would, I would like to hold a scene or I could, I could hold a scene with someone like that if it was written that way, you know, um, or I could be directed by somebody like that because I understand what he's talking about when he's talking to the cameraman, you yeah. know, and I'm listening, you know, there was this thing where that, 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 that kid in me that liked to watch that behind the scenes stuff, is is always there and always present, yeah. So so whenever whenever something's being filmed, I I do like to take it all in. I do like to watch, you know, and I see it all, you know, like widescreen, and so I can I, I just pick what's going on. I'm just like, okay, that's wow, that's really cool. That's really cool. But I could do that for hours. You know what I mean? It's just one of those yeah. things. So it really sort of cemented like that. You want to take your acting to the next level, really, being in Captain Tom. Uh, Captain Phillips, sorry. Um, no, that was that. No, I'd already, I already knew that by that by that stage. Um, it was Batman that did that. Yeah. You know, and and watching Chris Nolan, but also myself and and, and the other actor Andrew Price, we would um, constantly patrol Gotham. You know, in in the breaks. You know, after lunch. You know, um, we couldn't just sit on the side and just have our chat or read our book or whatever, like everyone else was doing. We had to patrol that set because look where you are. Yeah. You know, um, look what they built from, 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 from the ground to the ceiling. You know, you're seeing a dent in the car and you're being told that Buster the stuntman for, for, for Batman had just been set on fire and he had to fall out of a window and land on the roof of that car. And you're just like, 
whoa, you know. Um, but you get you get into character. You walk around like a police officer, you know. You got your hand hand on your belt, kind of thing, <laughs> around, you know. Um, and and looking up at the clotheslines, they had clotheslines above, you know, that you probably never saw in the movie with with washing hanging on it. It was so immaculately all done. And uh, seeing Katie Holmes, and she's tall, man. Katie Holmes is tall. Um, I mean, I I was I used to love watching Dawson's Creek. Yeah, that was one of yeah. the, you know that's one of my guilty pleasures <laughs> just because of the way it was written. Um, but seeing her, and then. Andrew and I stood mesmerized as we watched. Um, ooh, um, um, what was his name? He played um, Commissioner Gordon. Um, oh, um, I was just talking to someone about him the other night, actually. Um, is, it, is, it, is it his sister who's Kathy Bates? I think so. He, um, um, he, he's, he was, he's done loads of stuff, hasn't he, now? Yeah. I can't remember his name for life. I know, I know who you're talking about, but I can't remember uh, his name. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he was in a cover picture of him in this scene, so people know who we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and apologies for getting for forgetting his name, but as as a legend, as and as an artist, as an actor, we got to watch him. Yeah, um, perform his perform some dialogue to. Uh, some other actors or whatever based around this app, this breakout at Arkham. Mm. And it was, it was the rehearsal take. Then it was another rehearsal take. And then it was just like, oh, well, let's do a recording take. You know, um, camera, sorry, camera's rolling take, not a recording take. They were doing all these takes. And in each take, he was either adopting a different pose or, or turning into the turn turning into into the conversation or whatever, and as actors we were like, he's given the editor so so many options. Yeah, because even with some of these um, rolling takes, you know, they might decide they want to use that. You know, um, but watching him, we were absolutely mesmerized and got a free acting lesson from watching him do that, you know? And so it was that, you know, that was, that was one of the, the, the best things I could take away from, from Batman Begins, you know? Um, and that's, and that was just from watching him. Oh, I've got, oh, got to remember his name, got to, got to remember, you know, um, but I know he was in. He was in. He was in Dracula, wasn't he? He was in Dracula. Um, in Harry Potter as well. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, it that's was, it. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the one. You know, yeah, he was, I, he know, was, I can't um, think of it is. He was Harry's Harry's uncle, wasn't he? Harry's yeah, he uncle. gets killed. Yeah, he turns into a wolf. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Oh, I almost had it there. <laughs> <laughs> but um. But yeah, you know, it, that was that was beautiful. I mean, it was like you you have these aspirations, you have these dreams. Yeah, when your kids say, "Well, I want to do this, I want to do that," and depending on how close you get to it, it will either kind of draw you in and say, "Yeah, that is what I want to do," or maybe I don't want to do it that way. Maybe I want to just tweak and go this way, or maybe I want to do something completely different. You know, um, and so. Uh, 
it, it, it was moments like those that just confirmed what you wanted to do. And that's why by the time I got to Captain Phillips, you know, I, I already wanted to do more than just, just be character support. Yeah. You know, with, with no guarantee of, of, of dialogue. And then even if you do get dialogue, there's no guarantee that it will make the cut, mm. you know? Um, so it was so, you know, it was interesting. And I just felt like, you know, maybe I'm on the right track and, and, uh, I'll get something um, of of some worth to me um, at some point soon. You know, I'm just living in that kind of hope, but just staying in that ballpark. So even with the castings that I would get, you know, um, I was I would turn down various casting or various acting jobs, even if I needed the money. Yeah. But it was because it wouldn't get me in the right direction. Me doing an advert isn't going to um, increase my chances of being seen by a casting director for a feature film, hmm. you know, it, or at least that's how I perceived it at that point. And yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it, yeah, those those two those two movies were 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 very significant. One confirmed what it is that I wanted to do. And the other one reinforced what it was I wanted to do because I yeah. wasn't doing, you know. Because then obviously um, you moved into Jekyll and Hyde. So what was that like being on the set of Jekyll and Hyde and, and obviously moving into that character you played in Jekyll and Hyde? Because you played quite a bizarre character in that. Yeah. Um, but that, yeah, that came after my filming obligations for Force Awakens. Mm. Yeah. So while Force Awakens was was um, having its year being put together and edited and so on and so forth, um, this casting um, came through, and uh, I don't know, man. It's because it's fantasy, isn't it? It's that yeah. it's that sci-fi fantasy, and and I dig that stuff, man. We just I told you I dig that stuff, and to be offered the opportunity to take part in in that TV series with, with an interesting type of character, that was right within my ballpark. And I remember in my audition, um, you know, I knew how I wanted to deliver the character. It was hard learning the character because you have to separate that depth. Like you can go too deep with what, what the dude is saying, you know? It's yeah. like, it's like, nah, this, remember it's pretend, it's just pretend. <laughs> We ain't challenging nothing here, you know? <laughs> um, and so um, uh, I remember I said to the guy, okay, can we, can we draw the curtains? And we drew the curtains. Um, we turned off the lights. There was some passage lights on that you couldn't turn off or whatever. And then um, uh, he said, the camera's gonna be here. And I said, well, okay, I'm gonna, t I was wearing my black shirt. So I turned up my black collar on my shirt, did it up because they, they only needed to see the head the rest of the body was going to be CG. And so I said, right, I'm going to lean into here and, and do it like this. And so he, he then adjusted the camera. Um, so I kind of knew how I wanted him or the directors to see what it was that I was going to do rather than just sit there and, and whatever. And they said you, can, you could use a voice as well and all that type of stuff. And I remember doing that and... Afterwards, I looked back, I was like, dude, you owned that casting. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> you know, 
Um, but it, it just seems so natural. It seemed like such a natural thing to do, you know, for especially for what you were going to present. And so I, I delivered it. Um, and, you know, part of me, there's, part of me thinks it's 50-50. Like, they knew that I just come from Star Wars. They didn't know what the hell it was I did on Star Wars. But Force Awakens was coming and Star Wars was coming back. And it's just like, yeah, we, we'll, ha we'll have him. Right. <laughs> and, and, and then the other 50% was they must have liked what I did because um, it was pretty much what I did in the casting, which I did in the show. And uh, dude, that was that was just such a beautiful experience and production to work with, you know, the wardrobe for the supporting cast and, and the actors and actresses was absolutely sublime and and the location where we were shooting um some of that harbinger sequence um that captured all these kind of anomalies you know um was was spot on it was just like did this place come like this or did you say or did you dress this place this way <laughs> no it was really really cool um and richard e grant was on that show as well you know and just and I got to spend time I got to spend time with um a guy called Hayden and he mm. used to work for Dneg he now works um for Lucasfilm now you know he's like Fine. well of course you do of course you do Hayden you know just, <laughs> but um realized that you know uh he, we would talk through how we were gonna see this character the harbinger who's half man and half dog you know beast and they described that he was going to be hairless, you know, and it was going to be like almost, he's almost riddled with mange, but you can't really tell that type of stuff or whatever. But um, there was something very, very demonic about this, 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 um, this creature, even though he wasn't a demon as such other, other, other than just the appearance, you know, um, and also, I'm, you know, I might be a little bit biased, but, and, you know, at the same time, he, he was that soothsayer, you know what I mean? He was that um, character that would give the, prof the prophetic exposition um, that would be very, very useful, which meant that if they were doing a second season, you know, you know, Harbinger would be back, you know, yeah. he would have come back, you know. Um, so there was that security with the type of character he was and, and, and his place within that show. But um, just getting to perform that, knowing that Hayden is, is taking care of the body so I can give him as much of what kind of movement I think I would be doing if I was lower down, mm. you know, so that they can know that the, the the, the dog is kind of like scuttling about, you know, you know, when he's saying these things, you know, um, because I was wearing a green, green top around my neck. Um, I had my jeans on, so it didn't have to be, you know, full length, but I had my jeans on um, and my face was painted, you know, um, by, by Emma, I think her name is. And uh, it was just also being able just to, emphasize and um enrich this dialogue with with all this prophetic um 
demon speak, shall we say, you know, and, and it was just, so, it was an awesome, awesome experience. Yeah. I think I did about four episodes, I think, um, but it was, that was my first um, terrestrial show, mm. you know, Jackal and Hyde. Um, the cast were absolutely amazing. The writer, the director, um, you know, I, you, you know, you, it's like, I think, I think now something like that could get a second season on Netflix. Yeah, you I know, think it needs to be picked up. What's that? I think it needs to be picked up, Jekyll and Hyde. It definitely does. Yeah, you know, um, because you you watch it and you can see the legs on it, you know, and ITV had never done a show like that. You know, especially one that was going to be in the newspapers the next day and people complaining about the hour that it's on and the time that it's on and it's too scary and have my face in there and have somebody else's face, you know. And But the thing is, it's not even like I'm wearing prosthetics. You know, it's just a, my painted face can be black and white and you're just scared of my face. You know, <laughs> it was just, it was nuts. So, um, but all of that hype and, and, and everything to do with that show was just, was just so lovely and affordable for ITV to do, mm. you know, and you get that point, well, you know, do you want to make good TV or not? No? Okay. Netflix, Netflix, yeah. you know, um, and you know, if, if they do, if they ever came back for a second season and stuff, I would jump at the chance to be a part of that, you know. Yeah. But that was, that was everything in um, a nutshell. The, the fantasy world, the gothic, the gothic nature that they decided to take um, Jacqueline Hyde um, down in terms of in terms of its presentation and its look and its feel the uh, the actors that they had were just awesome. And that's what it meant to feel like you were a part of something. You know, um, I remember, I remember um, one of the supporting actors coming up to me. Um, I think we were filming one of the last scenes that I did, the breakout. And he just said, um, your diction and your dialogue is amazing. And if you're doing something good, a director doesn't necessarily tell you anything, you know. Um, but if someone out of the blue just comes and, and points that out, then this is it's like, oh, it's like, yeah, I work, you're thinking, yeah, I worked on that. I'm glad someone picked up on. I'm glad someone can understand what I'm saying, you know. Um, that was that was lovely. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, in that it fit right into my ballpark. It was that fantasy world, man. You know, I'll play anything you want in a fantasy world. You know. <laughs> <laughs> within reason of course but you know it's it's you know i mean one of my dreams is you know i i don't know how i don't know the reality of it but i always wanted to um be a part of pirates of the caribbean always wanted to be a part of that you know i love johnny depp love 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 what johnny depp and i love the writing the writing of that you know it it shows the difference between whether you were raised on british humor you know, whether it was Morkman Wise, whether it was Carry On, yeah, yeah. Um, or anything like that, you know, you will get that humour that they drop. Like, I'll be in the cinema, you know, and loads of people just go, and I'm just cracking up because I'm like, those guys are funny. Those guys are just yeah. nuts, you know. But it was just played so real and so well. I loved that. And it had that perfect blend of fantasy as well. 
Yeah, Pirates of the Caribbean was an awesome watch. I mean, hopefully they're going to be doing another one. So, yeah, I, but I don't know if I'm going to feel the same if Johnny's not in it. You know, um, it'll be just what it is. You know, but it's like it's like some films. It's like um, Tommy Maguire and Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies. Yeah, only yeah. one and two exist for me. You know, um, and that's all I need. That's all I watch. You know, yeah. and it, it could end up being the same for Pirates of the Caribbean. You know, um, if Johnny's not there. Um, but yeah, man, just just that world that doesn't come up that often. It reminds you of also. Um, do you remember watching watching on the summer holidays like Jason and the Argonauts or Clash of the yeah, Titans? Yeah. Or it had that feel, and even the first Pirates of the Caribbean, and they had the skeletons under the water. I'm thinking, hey, man, we could do a new type like, Clash of the Titans <laughs> or something. Yeah. They did, and it wasn't that good, but we could do a better one. We could do a yeah. Sinbad, you know. Um, but yeah, things like that are always percolating because I, I did grow up with that Ray Harryhausen um, entertainment value as well, you know. So um, where was it? Uh, obviously, Star Wars started to come into play into your acting life. So obviously, you already mentioned that you did it before Jekyll and Hyde. So what was your first roles in Star Wars and when did you get called up for that? Um, that came off the back of... I like to say it came off the back of some of the pantos that I was doing because... Um, one of the guys that was working on the Panto um, ended up working on Star Wars and mentioned me to Neil, you know, and during that whole period of time, you know, I knew, I knew Star Wars was coming. I knew Star Wars, there was going to be new Star Wars, but I keep saying this, I've said this before, you know, I, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to get in that queue, man. I wasn't going to get in that queue and audition for that, you know, because there's nothing more soul destroying than thinking that you, possibly haven't the, the talents to, to cover whatever they need for this franchise but you know what they're casting based on you know what you look like or this is just percolating in my head i've gone and cast you on based on what you look like rather you know or anything like that and so you may never have had a day's work acting job in your life and you may get cast in that you know and then you know <laughs> you know and i'll have to be like okay i didn't get that okay. <laughs> you, know, it's, I'm, you know i'm thinking i don't want to put myself through that and i really wanted to be seen for the prequels you know but then that it dawned on me that that was going to be impossible because they were shooting was it in australia australia yeah australia yeah. rather than new zealand you know shooting on australia i'm thinking they're not flying a nobody over to australia for the for the you know, for Phantom Menace, man, they're going to get some people, some names. And so, you know, that, that whole trilogy came and went and like most people thought, well, that's potentially the end of it, you know, no mm. more Star Wars, but you know. Um, so this time round, I was gonna, I was avoiding it um, in that regard. Cause also I normally get seen for most projects that come through you know, oh, I was at one point for um, the Hubbard's casting. Um, they Dan Hubbard would normally get a hold of my agent and say, oh, can D come down or whatever. And um, I wasn't seen for 24. Um, and uh, when they were shooting over here and Avengers Age of Ultron was shooting just partially here and some in Europe. And I'm yeah. thinking, they ain't got no parts for me in that. You know, there's nothing for me to do in that, you know. Um, you know, I could pretend to be um, Groot, 
man, I, I could be a twig or Groot, you know, but you haven't even introduced Groot yet. So, you know, it just, <laughs> there was just, yeah, there was just, there was nothing. And then Star Wars is like, nah, nothing. And um, then I get this phone call and Neil wants to see me at Pinewood. I'm thinking, could be, oh my goodness, I've got my, my, might be an audition, must be a casting or something or whatever for this thing. So I get down there, prepare for some kind of casting of some kind. And I'm whisked straight into the workshop. You know, first thing that I see, first person that I see is R2, stood right there. And I just froze to the spot, just froze. You know, and the guy's working in the corner. Is it Justin Pitlecki? He laughs and he says, yeah, that happened to me too. <laughs> you know, and, and then I said, can I walk past? You know, and I'm supposed to be following this person. This person's gone on, but I can't walk past R2 without permission. You know, because yeah. now, you know, I have not only just signed non, non-disclosures or anything like that. If I was to look around, I could see drawings of things that I'm not supposed to see. Yeah. Um, yeah or don't want to see because you know then this is it's a secret i've got to keep in my head you know it's like I saw something. you know what i mean <laughs> and so yeah had a fitting for one of the um husk wolves um like paul warren gets to play varmic um and you see two of these grayish wolves in maz's castle but there was going to be a gang of them and so yeah brought in straight into a fitting um i'm like uh, i'm you're, you're, you're kind of just being led along and you're saying at some point you're thinking is this a casting what's what's going on what's going on but it's moving too fast it's like oh let's measure your head let's measure measure your chest this and then all this type of stuff and that's like okay and then eventually um i was told that they had changed their minds about the the walls but then neil had said you know what let's see if we can find these something you know but i wasn't going to hang on that yeah, because that could that that's just like that's just a tease. Just don't you know? I've just missed out on this thing. Let's see, you find find me something. That doesn't sound very reassuring, right? So I'm just yeah. like, no. Let me let me just celebrate that I was seen for Star Wars. Yeah, I'm celebrating away. I'm celebrating away in my head. And then um, I get this phone call and said, well, you know, how would you feel about working on your needs? It's like Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> you know um and uh then i started coming in for these various stages of fittings for what would become cratinus and then i'm and i'm meeting the person that would be my twin brother um tom bell who would be prashy and and we both met when we came in for the wolves fitting you know so they had our measurements and everything um and it just yeah, it just started creeping on from there, you know, um, until yeah. it was, you know, they said we had the fitting. We thought, OK, all right, they're going to tell us when we're filming, I guess. Um, and they said, no, he said, well, there's a show and tell next week. And I was like, what's, what's that? You know, and they said, well, JJ will come in with his team and he'll pick and choose who he wants, wants to see in the film and stuff. So then I'm realizing, oh, so we haven't really got the pop. We haven't got this yet. Mm-hmm. OK. And then that day came. You know, I'm in this room with puppeteers. This is this is the behind the scenes. This is the dream. You know, yeah. um, I'm not watching it on TV anymore. This is behind the scenes. 
I'm seeing the puppeteers under the table. I'm seeing these puppets up there. I'm seeing these these uh, mosquito creatures. I'm seeing this big dude on 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 sat on the couch. I'm seeing all these things, and and then I see Warwick Davis, and I'm like, this is this goosebumps, goosebumps. <laughs> so, so so I'm like, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is this is Star Wars, and then um, one of the puppeteers comes up and introduces himself to me and it's Dave Chapman and um, he says you won't remember me do you I'm like no he says when you were in your band right <laughs> oh shit right? when you were in your band um, you came on our you came on the show we were on and it was what's up doc and I was one of the wolves and I'm like no way right and the reason why I remember them right is because the other guy was Dave Barkley, I think it is, and he op- he did some operating of Jabba the Hutt, and mm. and did some stuff for Yoda, I think, at some point or whatever. And I had him sign one of their cards so I could put it in like um, the box, the video VHS box of Empire Strikes Back because they knew I was a fan of Star Wars. Now I'm meeting the other dude. Now I'm meeting the other wolf. Yeah. And yeah. he's only up to his neck in Star Wars. He's the one who operates BB-8's head, as well as doing some other puppetry. And so I'm just like, this is, this is, this is, uh, this is amazing. And Tom and I had, had dialed in really, really well on the dynamics that we were given for the characters from Aidan Cook and, and Paul Casey, you know? And so we knew it, we had this, you know? Um, you know, like they say, man, I got this. Yeah. And I literally did because all I had to do was laugh all the time and react to Tom. But I did that from the moment Neil said creatures come alive till the time JJ came in, was walking around or whatever. While he's doing all that, we're still cracking up. We're still doing our thing or whatever, you know, um, then he gets to us and then and then they leave and then Neil says creatures, creatures end or whatever. I take the head off. I'm, I'm sweating buckets. And um, all around me, everyone's laughing, you know, because it was that infectious. You know, you don't expect that at a show and tell. You think it's all nice and quiet or whatever. No, you got yeah. this dude, little dude, cracking up twenty four seven. You know, and then um, and then Neil just said in front of all of these people that I, who the ground that I they stand upon, I worship. You know, um, he said he said to the puppeteers and everybody, and let's give D a round of applause for for just Gary carrying on. You know, and I could have cried right there and then, you know, um, but that was the cementing of that relationship between um, myself and Neil and um, and JJ's appreciation of those two characters that um, ended up in that movie. Because even on the day of filming, the first AD was saying, OK, and you guys are going to be over here playing your game or whatever. JJ rushed over and says, no, 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 no. And um, we'll set them later. They they uh, they need a hero moment. Goosebumps. <laughs> so so um, from the time you're being told you you're getting a hero moment, you know, um, that's one thing. But then all the way throughout the rehearsals of that day, you know, staying in character and just cracking up, and the crew walking past and and laughing and joining in, and and mm-hmm. and the other and some of the extras joining. It was just, that's, to me, what Star Wars is about. You turn up on a Star Wars set, that's what you want to see. 
unless you're on an, an imperial barge or something like that or whatever, you know, you want to, you know, you want to walk into a, a tavern or something like that and you want to see aliens and you want to see Star Wars. Yeah. And um, there was nothing more disarming than um, a little alien dude that's just cracking up all the time. You know, it was the heart. I don't know. There, there was so much heart in, in, in the synergy of all of that. Um, and I wouldn't have had it any other way. You know, it, if that's the only thing I'm going to ever do in Star Wars, that's you're getting all of me because that's what Star Wars means to me. Mm. You know, and from what I've seen of behind the scenes and to be part of something like this, it's, it fits, you know. So that I was that. I love how it's all come full circle for you for this, and obviously with this moment in Star Wars. Obviously, you, you grew up watching the behind the scenes of puppetry, and now you're part of it, and it's all just how it's all fallen in. So, yeah, one of the, I mean, one of the the main memories I had um, was watching one of those behind the scenes, and it was uh, to do with the battle on Endor and the Ewoks and the troopers, and you know they were all sat around and, and walking around, and the Ewoks had their, head, had their um, heads off, and the Stormtroopers weren't wearing their helmets and stuff like that. And the first day I'm backstage of Maz's castle, and it's like that. Everybody's half in their creature suits and, and things like that. And they're just like, whoa. And that was on top of seeing some, some um, picture put up by um, Lee Towsey and, Oli and, and Oliver Peoples who were brought in to do R2 and telling me about R2 Katie, you know, and that just sums up the heart of Star Wars because that deserved to be there. You know, this is what Star Wars means. It means more than just, you know, the, the career or it means more than just what you're presenting. It's, it's, it's what it means to other people, Yeah, you know, um, and how much it means and you know that moment where I just got to see everybody like that was was absolutely surreal mm. you know and yeah yeah the flashbacks just 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 an imprint you know um I remember meeting Kieran Shah there and Artie little Artie um and uh Paul Warren <laughs> you know yeah. and, and Nathan Plant see I, I'll just go on but you, you just remember meeting them all for the first time in, in that circumstance you know and, and that was the thing like some of the days were going long and we had extra days to shoot because Harrison had hurt his leg the, the week or two before and so um, again I couldn't sit there behind and just sit there and wait in between takes or whatever. I had to be somewhere where I could see something either yeah. see the monitors or take a look at what they were shooting, you know, to, to the point where I was allowed, you know, um, but just being able to take it all in. Yeah. Take it all in. Nice. So now obviously this all, did this all lead into Rogue One as well? This helped you get into Rogue One and become a character called L1? Yeah, yeah. It was, man, I, I don't know. Neil, Neil gets me. I don't know. I don't know how else to say it, but I think Neil gets me as a performer. Like he knows, and I think he gets all of the creature performers in terms of knowing what suits to put them all in. Um, and I remember that 
I, I remember being told that Gareth Edwards was was told, you know, you're getting Nathan Plant and you're getting details. Yeah. And um, uh, I wasn't sure, I'm not sure how, how it was going, but if they were trying to work out the size wise and things like that, but then Nathan ended up being a lot of the classic Imperial kind of droids that you would see about, you know, but the, I think they're called RA, RA droids or something. Mm -hmm. So he was getting to be those droids and um, a silver one and a black one. And I was being kitted up into this L1 suit that was going to, that was going to be L K2SO. Yeah. Right. So I knew about the part. I knew what it was that um, I was going to be required to do to a point. But in the costume tests, you know, that's when I think um, they started to think outside of the box regarding restrictions and how fast I could move in that suit or how that move or, or what that suit actually conveys in terms of personality or anything like that. And uh, so that was, that went on for a good long while. So that suit was literally made inch centimeters, millimeters to fit me. Yeah. and was an awesome suit was the most amazing droid suit i could have ever dreamed to have been in you know um i could breathe i could <laughs> see, you know um and the suit wasn't too hot wasn't too cold man it was goldilocks man you know it was like um and also we were shooting outside in semi-summer weather you know so with the in between the panels it's just a body suit you know, so yeah. I was getting air. I was getting air to my body. Um, the 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 visor that came across, the eyes that came across like that with the with the with the rails, and the lights in there um, was totally all see through. So so air was coming in, um, and you and my eyes could be behind those those lights, but I could still see. Yeah, and um, the jaw piece. Um, when it was off, it made me look like I'm Robocop, man, <laughs> you know, so cool. so cool. But then they would slot back in with these magnets and then underneath it would have these perf perf perforations where I could actually breathe, get, get some more air in. And um, yeah, as things developed, it became clear that uh, something else was happening with, K2S with, with K2SO and L1 and mm. L1's uh, association with that. And um, uh, what was it? It was, yeah, there was, yeah, there were like little, these, these little ideas and these things that they were gonna do with Destroyed and stuff like that. But then one day I turned up and I saw Alan Tudyk going into Lucas, Lucasfilm and I'd heard that he was gonna be doing the, doing the voice and I think it was, I just heard he was going to do the voice at that, at that moment in time. And then later on, finding out that he was going to actually be playing in this character and things. I was like, oh, wow, wow, wow. You know, and then they, I didn't know what that meant for me. Yeah. I didn't know what that meant for me, right? So I was just like, I was still celebrating, yeah? Because I was a part of a development um, process. And it's like, if you watch that on a behind the scenes on a DVD or something like that, you know, you'd still say, man, I could have done that. I would have loved to have done that, you know? Yeah. And, and then I'm, I'm like, hey, I was doing that, right? So, <laughs> so, so 
I'm finding these gems in some of these uh, in some of these moments that um, aren't on obvious moments, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, it was when I was on set and I was hanging with the kids. Uh, there were two two little Asian girls, and um, they were just staying in character, you know, and talking to me. And I was I had my I had my droid voice going and stuff like that, and I was talking to them. And we took a break. There was a break, and then after that break, um, they were. It was like it was like you know their their keeper, the person that was looking after them, said. Oh, yeah, there you go. Like, oh, go and see your, go and see your friend. Go and see your friend, the, the droid. You know, <laughs> so they all came, but they all came running over it. You know, my heart. You know, I'm getting a lump in my throat. You know, the heart of just seeing these kids coming over, and 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 we we're on a Star Wars set, and I'm in character. I haven't dropped playing character for these children, and that moment was captured and put into the movie. Yeah, you know, um, and there is so much emotion in 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 it while I was in the suit for that moment, as well as seeing that moment. You know, it was just like, whoa, whoa, that's the best thing you could have done. You know, and and and, and then pa Pablo Hidalgo um, wrote this amazing thing about the the droid in the Visual Dictionary. You know how he's how he spends his time looking after the street urchins and, and things like that and whatever and looking for a deeper sense of spirituality. You know, like oh, oh, that droid is deep, man. You know, <laughs> so um, all of that was just was you know, there was some kind of synergy in in the whole process. You know, like even when I turned up and they said. You know, um, your part's been changed a little bit. The first thing I said was, you still need me though, right? I said, yeah, 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 yeah. And um, it was just for those couple of seconds, you know. Um, and then later on, then when they were adding some more shots to the, to the movie, they painted the same droid suit red. And then you'll see me cross over in the alleyway. You know, you yeah. see these two eyes and cross over in the alleyway. Um, but that moment they put in there with me and the kids, that's just like... That's just golden, you know. That was that was that wasn't even shot during action. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, to capture that moment sums up that magic of, of Star Wars a little bit for me. But mm. that was Neil. Neil just knew that I could deliver that and um, put me straight straight in line for that. You know, um, and to this day, you know, that's that that costume. That costume was was an absolute joy to wear. There wasn't one part of that costume that was uncomfortable, um, and also it forced me to because normally if you put on a droid suit, you might want you might want to adopt that protocol droid, yeah. you know, um, and look and in turn and then look. You might you might want to, but because his his visor was was more horizontal landscape. Um, and he was, and I think he was a, he was a manumitted tactical droid. Yeah. Um, you're thinking he, for his view, it would be more like this, you know, less, less, less humanized. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I had all of that dialed in and stuff like that. And 
you know, when you see that bit in the, in, in, in the film and the kids are running up, you're, you're not seeing me do apply any of that. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, see, you're seeing me get excited because the kids are there or whatever. And yeah, those, those few seconds, every time I see that, it's just like, oh, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But, um, but yeah, just these magical moments, these magical moments that happen. But that came um, directly after, I think, Neil seeing that I got it and I understood it, the process. And um, there wasn't a complaint from me. Um, there was never um, an unavailability from me situation. And uh, how much giving um, I understood I had the ability to do tandem with Tom in terms of entertaining the crew. Yeah. You know, you're not just entertaining the crew. You're, you're, you're bringing to life um, someone's design, someone's character, you know, and ultimately uh, a character that Neil thought was good enough to, to put in front of AJ um, in that uh, show and tell. You know, like he backs, he stands behind everything that he puts out there, yeah. you know, and um, to see us come alive like that and with the kind of creatures that we were, we could just keep going, you know, um, whereas other people might need to take their heads off a lot more. And the thing, funny thing is, we were stood, we were sat right next to a massive fireplace, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. think, man, these guys are cooking, you know, but that foam and all that stuff you know it protected me from all of that heat so you had no idea that there was any well you, you felt it felt toasty right but it wasn't it wasn't unbearable it was it was quite cool but to know that we could you weren't sweating buckets basically in the zoo yeah you know what i mean so you know it was it was toasty but it, it wasn't unbearable because i know we did have fans occasionally um, and they did turn it down occasionally in between and things like that. But, you know, it takes a lot to, to put anybody in any of these suits, you know, and um, some of it is about overcoming being able to see, you know, um, be, be able to hear, you know, um, being able to breathe sometimes, you know what I mean? You know, it, it, these things... <laughs> you find a way around and you cope with these things and um and that comes with the territory comes with the job uh you can't put these things on and freak out because it's not perfect mm. you know and to and to and and that's what happens there's this synergy with all the creatures creature performers that we're all in the same boat and we we can all handle it you know you know to a point you know yeah. and um and that's what comes with that job and we love it we love it for it because obviously uh, the, the wardrobe, like the suit that you got to wear in solo, was was that a lot more different? Because I imagine that must have been a bit more heavier to wear. I mean, what was it like working on solo? Was it as Quay, was it? Quay, okay. Because yeah, there was there was three suits. I think I did three characters on solo. Mm -hmm. um, but Quay's... <laughs> Quay, man. That costume was a mixture of wool and silk yeah um i was told it was they were melted melted together and stuff to get to get the shapes and everything like that and there were one yellow layer um two 
the main suit, I think. And then three was the, was the cape and the thing that went over the top, over the back. Yeah. And as well as the helmet. And um, yeah, it was, it, it, it was heavy. Mm. Yeah, that material was heavy. Um, but it was, un I, I barely noticed it. You know, it was one of these things where, man, this is, there's too much, too many things to be paying attention to, to even worry yeah. about that suit, you know? And um, you could put me in something a lot more difficult to, to manage and, and it'd be the same responsibility, you know, working on Star Wars. But the thing is, is that I had found out at some point that this character is a pike. Mm. And I knew the pikes from the Clone Wars, <laughs> yeah? And yeah. I'm like, I know these guys. Yeah. And, and luckily they'd given me a set of keys because it was going to be, uh, it was going to be quite old. It's going to be key toll site because he's holding the keys. Yeah. Mm. Um, but the, it got lost in translation in America and then it's stayed that way and it works now as a play on words. Yeah. But, but it's, yeah, it just works that way. But because I was holding these, these keys, it meant that I could hold these keys the way that the pikes normally would would, would move their hands anyway, you know, because mm. it's very um, T-Rex, very T-Rex in a way. And so that, that helped me hone in on what I knew of those characters. But uh, yeah, the, the following day, yeah, just across here was just aching and aching. And um, luckily on set, there were these guys that worked at Craft who um, were also uh, masseuses. Yeah. yeah. So they were offering massages and things like that. And this girl just massaged my shoulders, whatever. And it just let it all, just released it all, you know? Mm -hmm. And then it was like, oh, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then like the back in the suit, and it was, it was much more comfortable. Um, but yeah, just I mean, I mean, Quay as as a character and 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 his attitude and stuff was was a joy, mm. you know, within the circumstances that he was in, you know, and the helmet itself, I could see again, man. I don't know, I don't know how lucky I'm getting that I can see, but um, whether LEDs are, my eyes are behind those. There's a bit of black mesh there. Yeah. The shape of that head. You know, that gold plate isn't fixed in like that. There's black mesh in between the gaps of that helmet. So yeah. air is coming through. Yeah. And I can see, um, but I am being um, uh, nailed into the helmet, as it were. Like at the back, it would be screwed in. Yeah. Yeah. So I can't take that head off like that unless someone unscrews it. Yeah. <laughs> so um there was there was that but it was i'm looking you know my scenes I, I'm, I'm told what type of guy what type of guy i am these people have come to my planet you know um i don't care what they want to do here but they ain't leaving and that ship is mine as far as i'm concerned you know so while that's going on i'm taking part in 
you know when you're watching these heist movies you know and you're seeing this yeah. thing like, click 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 and these moments or whatever it became clear that it was going to be one of those moments yeah it was very very quick even from the time where you know um uh he thinks he's going to um capture kira yeah you know in his office and, and a droid or whatever just you know how quickly she takes him down kind of you know <laughs> kind of kind of you know sums that up you know and i i will forever be able to say i've had had my butt handed to me by the mother of dragons you know and i wouldn't i wouldn't have it any other way <laughs> you, know? you know but that was that was that was great to be part of that you know and to be and to, and for neil to give me that so so i think that came late on in the day i don't think that was on my list of of characters to play so i think i might have, i thought i'd finished maybe after the sabat game yeah. um and uh yeah you know and he didn't know that i knew who the pikes were <laughs> you know what i mean you know yeah. jake who drew it didn't know i knew who the pikes were um but it, it all just seemed to fit. And, you know, uh, one of my favorite things about that is, you know, when you're part of these things, it's just like, you know, the camera's rolling, you know, and it's just like, well, okay, I'm going to do my thing. If it's not, if it's not right, they'll tell me it's not right or whatever. But I was, you know, I was so sure that I had this dialed in that, you know, when it came to closing that door, when they told me that, okay, we need you, we're gonna do a close up of the key going in there, you know, and then the door's gonna close and you, and you know, Star Wars door, they poke quite quickly, right? I'm like, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, um, put my key in there like that and 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 turned it and um, they had said, Q, Q door or whatever. That's when I just looked and then you get that line going, boom across there and I'm like you better keep that in you, keep that in. you know um and I'm in a scene with Woody Harrelson and he's dressed in Lando's gear oh my goodness you know that helmet hid more <laughs> of, of my emotions than you could possibly imagine you know um yeah I recognize Lando's gear it's just like oh but you know and then it's Woody Harrelson Woody Harrelson's yeah. wearing this stuff. And then I get to watch Woody Harrelson just pew, 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 just, you know. And, and, and I know he was alternating with, um, with Andy Lister, the stunt guy. You know, my stunt guy was Darren Knopp. You know, I you know, feel like you've got family forever once you've had a stunt for some person, you know. Yeah, um, of course. You know, and these guys are just so awesome at what they do. You know, the guy who was doubling Han Solo, um, yeah, he's he's Spider Man. You know, it's just like what you know, you know, these people, this world, you know, and you contribute to it, and you're all you're all like these tiny tiny cogs in this in this massive massive uh, mechanism. That, that that creates such entertainment you know it's just mind-blowing but but yeah quay quay is just no well that's why i think you know by the time you get to the rise of skywalker because solo was the last one that i did yeah and, and now i'm thinking 
well, I obviously peaked, you know, I obviously peaked on solo or whatever, you know, um, and then I get to step back and, and watch the rise of Skywalker and then watch the Mandalorian. And I'm back to being that fan again, you know, yeah. just wondering if the past few years that were actually real and actually happened. You yeah. Know? So yeah, it's just yeah, it's beautiful. So was there any obviously like you got to work alongside some really big names in Star Wars? Was there any times where they realised that you were from MMA at all? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was stood in the control room, you know, and um, Amelia Clark and and Phoebe uh, were singing. Um, an E17 song. Um, baby, if you got to go away, don't think I'd say the pain, just stay now. And then, and then I got, I'm in my suit and I went, stay now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and then um, I was like, yeah, yeah, I toured with them. And Emilia went, what? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, then I said, M&A. And then, then they started singing, I got a little song for you. And it, you know, um, Amelia's adorable, man. You know, she's got the biggest laugh on the set. Mm. You know, everything's every just takes it in her stride or whatever. And then when she's time to turn it on, she turns it on like that, right? Yeah. But um, I'm stood there in my suit, you know, and I've got L3 stood there. I've got Kira stood there, but you know, it's the mother of dragons stood there. I'm thinking, whoa, and you know, you know about MA. You know about because I'm I'm shocked. At, look, I I'm honest, right? I'm shocked at when anybody says that they know MA, you know, because it was such a long time ago. Um, and I just think, well, you know, people have forgotten or weren't into that music at that point in time, or you know, MA, MA who emanate who you know um i i'm i kind of prepare myself for that more than i do for people say oh my goodness i, I remember you guys i saw you on this i saw you now and i went to see you here and blah, blah blah it's it's like someone's telling me that they actually saw a dream that i had yeah you know it's that kind of surreal thing you know and i'm stood there on a star wars set with these actresses, droids in this room, you know, Ron Howard sat over there from Happy Days that I used to watch, you know, I used to rush, I rush home and watch Happy Days after Batman, you know, the Adam West version, you know. Yeah. Happy Days would come on after that, you know, and I'm sat, you know, I'm stood there in this room and I'm, you know, you just press record because you know you've got to stay focused and work but it's recording Mm. it's recording and the emotions are being recorded as well so it's just you know (laughs) you know it's just it's just it's just what it is um but yeah yeah just yeah just very very grateful and um appreciative of the fact that not only am I working on these movies, but I have something to contribute. Yeah. Yeah. They want me for, for something that they know that I can contribute. It's, it's a different world when it's like that, you know? Um, You're part yeah, of the family yeah. now. 
yeah yeah for real for real it's um anybody that's worked on star wars it's 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 instant family no matter if it's distant family or whatever it's it's kind of i see it kind of like that yeah uh but you know it's it's a very personal it's a very personal thing you know because it's on so many levels in terms of when you were a kid and, and, and being interested in this stuff to how the decisions that you've made throughout your career have allowed this to happen, you know? And I think back and I think, well, if I'd done this job or if I'd done that and I'd done that, things might've been a little bit different, mm-hmm. you know? But, you know, I stayed firm, you know, no guarantees, but the only thing that I had was hope. <laughs> yeah. You know, and rebellions are built on hope, you know. So, so, <laughs> so um, you know, it's just, yeah, there's just so, so much serendipity with, with all of it that it just feels right. Like it was, it feels like it was meant to be, you know, which is, a, yeah. yeah, which is kind of, it's, it's, it's hard to explain, but you, do you know what I mean? You know, yeah, in terms, yeah, of, I, in terms of your, your personal journey with, with wrestling and things like that, you know, um, it didn't matter how you're going to get there. You knew you were going to get there, hmm. you know, um, and you can't quantify that, you know, and, no. but, but it's, but it's in that space of, of what I call real reality that it actually happens. So. Awesome. So um, one thing I like to do at, at the end of my talks is um, to ask you some good points and bad points. So I, I want to find out uh, what was your favorite set to work on and what was the worst set you worked on? Whether maybe you, it was just uncomfortable to work on, or maybe it didn't work for you. And then, what was the most mind blowing set you walked onto, and you just was like at home straight away? Um, the most mind blowing set I had the pleasure to walk on happened twice. And um, the first one happened uh, after filming at the end of a day um, on The Force Awakens mm. when I got to walk on the Millennium Falcon. Nice. You know, it's just like even now, it's it, 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 it it's it, there's, there's, some, there's some kind of reality to it. There's some kind of, there's something that says, yeah, this is why we believe it in the movies, man. This, this is, this is that, that ship, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was just, and you know, and to see it stood there, just stood there, parked, you know. Um, one has to be the most iconic spaceship in in history, you know. Um, mm. I know the Trekkies might might beg to differ, but you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just. Just, uh, just a dream, you know. Because um, I remember also at school when my kids, my kids had their trading cards and stickers and stuff like that, and talking about Star Wars. You know, I hadn't seen the movie, so I didn't know what the hell it was about. You know, all I knew is there was an argument in the playground who was stronger, Superman or, or Chewbacca, because Chewbacca apparently was holding these walls, these walls that were closing in with his hands. You know, yeah. um, which which wasn't the case, but you know, you know, kids, you know. Uh, <laughs> And so, you know, I was collecting some of these cards, you know, because I was just mesmerized by them and had no idea about 
the movie whether it'd come out or not and I wasn't thinking that I was just thinking wow this is amazing uh, oh yeah and if you piece them together and 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 you turn them over they would give you the image of I think it was C3PO and R2D2 or something like that you know um yeah. just just yeah back in the day with those cards and you know um yeah so so that 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 was probably one of the most amazing things one of the most amazing sets that i got to work on was probably um my office in the spice mines of kessel hmm. you know because it's that famed spice mines of kessel and yeah. it's my office <laughs> yeah um those are my droids um uh this is my house and i'm in prison everybody i see in it you know it was that thing you know and um that was that was amazing to watch because i'm watching i remember i went to the side to watch the monitor to see my entrance for the first time and i saw myself come through the doors and i'm going like this or whatever and rather than still watching myself walk about because as an actor you can get quite narcissistic and just watch yourself and say oh yeah well i did a good job or not but i watched myself trans go past but then i saw this little this little um gong droid coming out of the wall and i was transfixed <laughs> yeah and i think it was jimmy v that was in that droid and i'm like whoa that is so cool right because i can't see that when i've got my head on you know yeah. I, I can only see so much and so everybody's it's kind of mapped and choreographed um so a lot of things that i won't see and i saw that and then and then it was time to go back again to do do a few more takes and then i realized hang on i didn't even watch myself the last time um but that was beautiful um and um there was this <laughs> there was this take there was this take you know i think i don't know if it was a take or it was a rehearsal but um when the alarms go off and things like that and the guards are kind of come down that tunnel that beggar has to shoot mm. there was this, <laughs> there was this proposed rehearsal where where beckett was was shooting them or whatever then there was a mouse droid that came forward yeah it stopped. Yeah. Woody went like this. The droid went like this and left. Yeah, and I was just like, goosebumps. So I was just like, that was <laughs> awesome. And it didn't. And it didn't make the cut. Yeah, but um, things like that. Just and and witnessing the droids in there and some of the droids that stood up at the panels. They're actually puppets. Yeah, yeah, so it's not even green, green suits or anything. They're just there and guys are behind operating these things. Um, that's probably one of the best. The, the worst sets. Um, worst set was, wasn't even a Star Wars set. It, it had to be... I think it was Captain Phillips. I think it was Captain Phillips because... Yeah. Yes, I'm in this room that would normally be used to hunt down Jason Bourne. Um, but, but no, we're hunting down pirates on, on the high seas. Um, and I was paying so much attention to uh, what the second unit and what Paul Greengrass was saying occasionally to how it was being filmed and stuff like that, um, that it really, did, I th yeah, and I think it really did sum up 
that I needed to move on from doing character support. Yeah. You know, because the last first one is Batman. You, you, you know, you're going to have to go some to try and top, try and top that, you know, in yeah. the next minute, I'm in this room with computers and stuff like that. And it's very real world stuff, you know, nothing fantasy about this, you know? Um, and yeah, yeah. On so many levels, it kind of like reinforced that, okay, this is the time where you call it a day with this D, you yeah. know, and it was for all the right reasons, constructive reasons, rather than, oh, I hated it because it was cold or I hated it because it was this and blah, blah, blah. No, it just summed up the universe or the world that I wanted to operate in. Yeah. You know, um, so that was probably the worst set. Um, is there an uncomfortable set? There, I've been uncomfortable a few times, but it, but it has come with the job. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I remember in, on Solo in the Sabacc, yeah, kind of so back with the fighting area and stuff, stuff like that. Um, some of the earlier rehearsals and things like that. I'm in this got a right suit and Tom Bell's my my twin brother once again, you know, very handsome, ugly looking trolls, um, moldy type things. And um, uh, yeah, having to keep doing this take over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you're out of breath, there's only so much breath that you can actually keep recycling through and, and, and trying to get out of, of that suit. Yeah. Yes, we have massive ugly tongues and things like that. But um, after each take, you would need, like I could go maybe two or three takes, you know, and then you need a pause, you need to get some air in there because yeah. the, the heads themselves are made out of, of chemicals and things like that so the reason why air is pumped in and the reason why they stop every 20 or 30 minutes just to check and see if you're okay is because you know if those fumes get to you you know you're not even going to know you're about to pass out you know yeah, you're just going to be being picked up and you know and looking dizzy you know, <laughs> with stars around your head and stuff so you know um uh i remember just having to tell the first the ad just to pause you know he's going all right and action i was like no 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 you know um but that that does come with the territory and you are you are supposed to let them know when when you do need that um, yeah but yeah you know and i don't even know if i can even count that because but that's the I, I think I will count that because that's the only time I've told them to stop filming because I needed some oxygen. Um, that, that, that kind of leads me on to my, my next question is that um, obviously it's the same sort of question, but with like your wardrobes that you've worn. What's your favourite wardrobe that you've worn, and then one that you've worn that you've just you just didn't get on with, and you're happy to get out of it? Um, I've no, I've never been happy to get out of any of them, man. Never no. happy to be to get out of them. You know, it's. You have such a short time within the day or within the course of filming to bond with that suit, you know, to be able to emote out of that suit. Um, sometimes you may only have a couple of hours for what they want to shoot. Uh, but um, I don't know. It's, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. You know, um, like I said, L1 suit was 
was was oh was sublime you know um but then you know i'm, I'm you know cratinus <laughs> that funny little dude he's you know it'll always have a place in my heart that funny little dude yeah and, and slow and low and so, but then slow and low you know he went to, there was a journey with slow and low because at first he was just going to be a beach coma you know and then seeing ships fly over for that iconic star wars thing or whatever and then it just grew into him owning um an art gallery on the beach and these people dumping their shuttle there and and he tells them not to not to park there on canto bite in the last jedi and um yeah, it took some time to find out that he wasn't going to be, he wasn't one of the gamblers in Canto Bite. Yeah. You know, you could tell there was something different about him when we were filming in Pinewood because he wasn't wearing the traditional black and white suits and things like that. He was just there in his hippie gown, man, just, yeah. oh, oh, dude, you know, yeah. um, type of thing. And um, it wasn't until Ryan Johnson said, you know, imagine him as as that type of hippie. Yeah. You know, um, and I was like, got it. <laughs> you know, because up until then, it was like, oh, maybe he's posh. Maybe he walks around like this, <laughs> and, you know, whatever and stuff like that. And then it slowly came down to one of these things, like, you know, he walked like this, like, yo, you know, you know, and um, yeah, just, just that that cut that character getting to play that character and and um even when he's gesturing to the police you know he says i told him, told him not to park down here you know and all this type yeah. of stuff whatever i can't remember what i was saying on the day as guide to guide vocals or whatever um but um but all of that inside this head and then having someone in my ear you know because i could i could only see out the nostrils and the nostrils were over here, right? And yeah. you can't see anything else. So if I wanted to look at you, I'd have to look at you and say, oh, that's where you are. And so, so I'd say, <laughs> okay, well, I'll point my head this way. You know, it was one of those things. And, um, and together with the voice in my ear of Ollie Taylor, getting the gestations and the, and, and the movements correct and... Uh, that scene, I think it's. I think it's just one. I think it's one take. It was done in one take. Um, nice. the, scene, the scene in Canto Bite when we say, "Oh no, those are the shuttle parkers," and then it's like, "Oh, you know," and yeah. that, and they captured that whole blinking thing and all in one one go, and it's just like, yeah, of course they did. You know, these guys work for Jim Henson and things and whatever. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, you know, and and. To be a part of that cycle, but I don't know. Maybe Kratinus. Maybe I. Maybe ah, oh, that's a tough one. I love. Uh, yeah, let's go with the first one. Kratinus. Kratinus yeah. was was an absolute joy, um, an absolute joy, and having Tom Bell to play off, you know, meant that it he wasn't just doing these things on his own. It was. It's not the Kratinus show. You know, you don't you don't get the performance from Kratinus without the, you know, that nudge from 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 Prashi saying, look at it over there, you know, and, and whatever, <laughs> and then laughing and and all that type of stuff. Kratinus. Um yeah, and I have to say the first one because also with with the movies, you know, my first my favorite Star Wars movie has to be um A New Hope. Mm. You know, um 
because without a new hope you wouldn't have had anything else and the 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 heartache and pain george went through to make that movie you know um and still to, and, and then to turn it into what it's what it became after that but upon its release you know yeah just a testament just a testament to um the vision that he alone had he was very much on his own yeah. you know um and that and left out in the cold and left to kind of fail you know let alone whatever um personal um traumas that were going on i don't know but just that as an inspiration just to you know if that's what you see that's just go for it you know yeah. it's not going to be easy but see it through that was what was beautiful about that so I got um, my last question obviously is going to be the film prop so what was your favorite film prop to use and then which film prop was probably one that you had most difficult using throughout your film careers my favorite film prop um My favorite film prop. I haven't used many or I haven't had to use many. Uh, it's like even with Batman Begins, yeah, I've got a, I've got a pistol on my holster in my in my holster, but you know, I can't go run around the set, <laughs> you know, <laughs> make, you know, just, you know uh, pretending all that kind of stuff. But um I think quite I think the keys that Quay carries mm. are very, very significant because also because of the play on words and you know, and he was the um, slave driver of Kessel. Yeah. You know, there was a special, there was a special way that I held them or wrapped them around my hand, you know, so that whenever I, I held these keys, that's how Quay holds these keys. Yeah. You know, and, um, uh, it also helped with maintaining, remember, like I said, that, that arm posture that the pikes have. Uh, yeah, so there, so everything kind of there was some kind of there was a great deal of synergy and synchronicity in that as a package. So I did like that. Um, so I'd have to say that was my favorite. I actually don't think I don't think any of the other characters had props. Yeah, the Gotta Right prop was a cup, you know, because they've always been. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah oh Regineer Teed Regineer Teed um one of the cloud riders yeah, yeah. the lizard the lizard face guy um I got to hold a blaster oh, <laughs> you know? I, I got to I got to hold a fabricated blaster and um I got to hold it the way that I wanted to hold it you know um and I can't for the life of me remember how how differently I was holding it but it wasn't the convention, conventional mm. way to hold a blaster, you know? It's like, when you see these films now, I think it's like, it's overkill. Like, you know, they hold these blasters, but you can't have your finger on the trigger. It's gotta be like that. Oh, because yeah. everyone's trained by the SAS, even throughout space. And I'm just like, no, nah, man, give me a break. It's just like, you know, it's just like, they won't, they don't have the finger on the trigger and they won't pull it unless they want to kill somebody. You know, yeah. you know what I mean? There's, there's, there's that little thing that that irks me <laughs> when I <laughs> when I see these things, you know, and um and and in these movies where people aren't even supposed to know that type of stuff, you know. Yeah. But, oh, that's the safety. That's the safety position. 
yeah, but what, how, how would your character hold it? Because it ain't real, you know? Yeah. But how would your character hold it? That that bugs me, right? <laughs> that's, my little, <laughs> that's my little thing. Um, but yeah, he gets to hold a blaster. Um, I don't think you get to see him shoot it. Mm. I don't think so. But, uh, but yeah, my keys. And the, did you ask what the worst prop was? Yeah, also something that you didn't really get along with or maybe something you used you thought wasn't really necessary or... Um, no, no, but I will tell you that in Jeddah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give you this instead. In Jeddah, um, they positioned me um, up on this ledge. They're like, I think you get to see a bit of that ledge when. Um, when the battle takes place, yeah, the battle in the street takes place, but there's a, there's a ledge in the corner like that and the marketplace was there. So that, I think they might have moved the marketplace out. But yeah. from the camera, camera looking at it, you're seeing this, this thing in the corner. In the rehearsal takes and things like that, I had to just make myself look busy, like in the background, while um, the silver RA, Nathan, looks up. Yeah, so when Nathan looks up, I'm technically in the background on that ledge, yeah, going through that repeated rehearsal thing. That, yeah. that I just, they say, okay, we're going to roll the cameras and when we say cut, you know, um, just so that you know, because sometimes we, because it's guerrilla filming, you know, you won't know we're recording. And so yeah. if I hear action, I, I won't stop until I hear cut, you know, or until someone says, okay, DD, D, D, stop, 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 stop. And so I was making myself look busy and all this type of stuff. And then um, I threw in this, this deep cut, you know, it's kind of like this deep cut little homage to uh, 3PO where there was this metal filtering unit or something um, in the background. And I walked over to it and it wasn't doing what I wanted it to do. So I gave yeah. it the same kick that 3PO gives R2 <laughs> hope. So I did that and someone was, was filming and they said, oh, do that again, do that again. So I kicked it again or whatever and I waited or whatever. And then, then I went back and whatever. And, and I'm gutted that didn't make it. I'm gutted that didn't make it. But that was that was a little, um, yeah, that was a little homage I, I put in. But that's probably yeah. the only thing I'm gutted about that didn't make it. You know, because it got topped. It got top, didn't it? Those I got top with those with seeing those kids. But yeah, mad. That's awesome. But it's been, you know, it's been it's been an amazing journey. It's been an amazing experience. I have no idea where my career is going from from here on out. Um, uh, hopefully, you know, there'll be some more things, but to look back at my my journey you know like the only poster i've never taken off my wall is a star wars poster mm. you know um some of them have been changed but each time i put a poster up i had some association with somebody later on right yeah. and uh, only one that i didn't take down throughout this whole period of time since i was a kid is a star wars poster you yeah. know and now i look at that poster and it means more to me now than it ever could have. Yeah. Oh, um, so 
yeah, just, you know, you know, you get these moments where you just, yeah, you're just extremely grateful for the journey and the path that you're on, you know, and it's never, there's never been a guarantee about any of the, any of the journey at all, other than um, your self, self, self-belief that something could happen, something could, a doorway, an opportunity could arise, but you yeah. never know how, you never know when, you never know um, why it will just pop up. It has done, and it's been it's been absolutely magical. You know, yeah. I tell my friend, um, like I've got like one of my buddies, Chris Bartlett in America. You know, um, yeah. you know, uh, he's had his own fair share of of these beautiful things too. You know, and I just say, well, you know, I do call it Star Wars magic, and it's and it's not something I throw around lightly as as just oh yeah, you know, Star Wars magic. Woo. You know, <laughs> you know. It, <laughs> It's, it's, some, it's something very personal, very real. Yeah. You know, um, like, like trying to quantify some of these things, you know, you understand, you know, it's just too much. It's like if I said to you, well, you know, if you landed a role in Kenobi, you know, and say, well, you know, but how did it feel just someone for calling you up and saying, okay, you've got that role, come down to the set tomorrow. You know, you have to just, you take a deep breath, you know, because because you're a fan you know you know it's just one of these things um you take a deep breath yeah you dig deep and then you go and give it your best shot you know and you go and give it 110 percent you know um that 10 other 10 percent is just love man it's just joy yeah well on that note d i think that's the perfect way to end our, our talk today I just want to thank you so much for being on. I know we were only going to go now, but I think we've gone too nearly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That that sounds about right. That sounds about right. But no, dude, it's it's been a pleasure to talk to you about this stuff. You know, I, I can talk for days about Star Wars or or my experiences on, on Star Wars. But you know, um, what it means to other people who are interested in in things like this on behind the scenes and what it means to some of the performers to be a part of these things you know um yeah. i mean i'm extremely grateful for for that audience being there because i'm still there you know i'm still i'm still watching these behind the scenes things i'm still listening to these these talks and things like that so yeah yeah really do appreciate it but thanks for having me man no no thank thanks. you for being on like it's, it's been awesome and thank you for sharing us all your stories yeah it's been a privilege <laughs> awesome dude awesome thank you so much cool thank you very much d have a good day yeah yeah man may the force be with you <laughs> i can't do it i can't do it with one hand for some reason i don't know why <laughs> i'll give you that tricky thing man <laughs>